Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. And, of course, paper-wise, uh, the first day of January was significant in many different ways. And, of course, amongst them, uh, tax increases, excise hikes on the price of alcohol. And over the past couple of days, it's been very much dominating the media, both social and, indeed, uh, in newspapers. Uh, and this morning is no exception. SUP in price is the headline making in the mirror today. With the new minimum charges, we'll see drink costs soaring, where they say the cheapest can of beer will now be set at €1.70, which doesn't sound like a huge amount if it's the single can but when you get into the boxes and the slabs of beer and those that buy by the slab or by the box or by the special offer and deal that's why you see headlines in some of the papers uh, along the lines of something that would normally cost 20 to 25 euro for say a slab or one of the big boxes will now cost 45 euro you see the big changes there over Dublin price so all of the papers talk about this they also have columnists who are either for it or against it Larissa Nolan in the mirror this morning says that it won't stop the alcoholic from drinking but it might make life a bit more difficult for them uh, and it will exacerbate their money issues with regards to people who will either think about drink or indeed food. Meanwhile, though, Alcohol Action Ireland make all of the papers and they're saying quite a lot of sensible things in fairness to them along the lines that the fact that we lose three lives to alcohol-related illness uh, and 1,000 hospital beds are taken uh, with, uh, you know, people who have maybe issues regarding their health because of alcohol every single day. So are they off their trolleys or what? They ask in the star this morning. You still can't go to the pub after 8 o'clock and from today you'll pay nearly double for a can. I'd love your thoughts on that and you can text 086-8104-106 the examiner very straight to the point. Slabs of beer, now 40 euro as the minimum price arrives. Meanwhile, in other news, of course, with the schools coming back later this week, Thursday, I believe, I don't have anybody of school going age, but I think it is Thursday, but the unions now, particularly the ASTI, are very touchy-feely about it and very nervous about the return of schools. And some are asking for it to be delayed. In fact, some of the papers this morning have people talking about the fact that maybe January shouldn't be a return for schools at all and they should go back to remote learning for the month of January. Well, the unions are asking for a staggered return because you don't know how many teachers are going to be back on Thursday. They could be out with COVID, they're saying. They could also be isolating. There could be close contacts of somebody who's out with COVID. And also, throw into the mix as well, how many students will actually go back to school, primary or secondary? Will parents decide to hold tough for the next few weeks? And that in itself then leads to all sorts of confusion, and not just in schools, but also uh, within the community itself. So the papers are also wondering as to how many workers will be back particularly in very important settings both in the private and the public sector. Like if you talk to people over the Christmas, the amount of people that were testing positive or they had antigen tests that tested positive or they were close contacts or in the same house and they had to isolate and things like that. So you've got to wonder how many people actually will be going back across uh, the month of January as this Omicron variant has put the nation at a standstill, according to the star. Now, uh, we will be getting more positive changes with regards to um, uh, guidelines regarding the coronavirus itself. And the coalition leaders are meeting again in the next couple of days. And they're thinking that those that have had their booster and um, and their two jabs... Uh, and are symptom-free or have had negative antigen tests, you know, with regards to isolating for the seven days after a positive case, you'd move to five days, that kind of thing. Uh, And I think ultimately, won't we be looking before the end of the month and maybe even, you know, maybe a little 
into February, that we'll be dealing with this as just a head cold, you know, uh, that we have to get across January and we're going to have an awful lot of positive cases. ICU seems to be holding steady. Um, hospital numbers are, you know, I mean, eight, maybe 900, that kind of thing. But the way, when we get in through January and into February, we'll be just dealing with this as we would a flu or a heavy cold. And that's the, that's what I hold on to actually myself, thinking, you know, this, this is the way it's going to be. We're nearly there. Of course, we have January to get through. And after that, it really will be about trying to get people back to work and trying to get businesses open again because cafes and bars and restaurants are closing their doors and have done so uh, for lots of different reasons. Amongst them, of course, are the fact that many of them have been hit with staff shortages. Others, of course, just haven't seen the footfall across Christmas and won't at all across January. And the Echo this morning Morning talks to a number of popular food and drink spots uh, who closed their doors in recent days, including Tom Barry's on Barrick Street. They also talked to uh, talk with the Roberts Cove Inn. The Gastro Bar also closed its doors for the month of January. Blair's Inn also doing likewise. The White Horse in Ballancolleg, the Middleton Park, Jacobs on the Mall, Wallace's in Middleton. I'm only giving you a few off the top of my own head, and I'm quite sure there are not more to go into it. But also the, the sun this morning. Do you remember FBD who were insuring the pubs across 2020 and 21? Um, and then the insurance companies were getting all kind of, um, you know, um, you know, touchy-feely about whether or not they should pay out uh, compensation for business interruption due to pandemic, which was a clause that covered pubs and restaurants within their insurance policy. Well, apparently they have been paying out and 1,500 pubs have got the COVID insurance payout. Um, on Lee side then, the Echo deals with litter problems, uh, particularly on the north side of the city where it's being called one of the worst areas in the country blighted by litter. Um, and that's a story that makes the front of this morning's Echo North Side Litter Alert. And staying on the north side, I dealt with this some months back. Uh, just see it's in the, in the examiner this morning, but you might recall the story we dealt with on the air uh, some months back where they were talking about the cost of repairing uh, traffic lights at the junction of Poppins Road and Farron Ferris Avenue. The cost to fix those lights, which were wrecked by vandals, incidentally, has come in at €50,000. That's a story making the air. But they also have a story in the Times that I'll come back to later because it would take too much time now. But there was a freedom of information request put in to all city and county councils right across the country. Not everybody responded to it. But the Irish Times has it today. It has to do with um, complaints made to local authorities in relation to all sorts of aspects that were impacting on people's lives within public authority, uh, housing estates, whether they were city or county. Anti-social behaviour, if you want to sum it up. And that report makes the uh, Irish Times this morning, which I'll come back to a little later on. Uh, but, of course, it's early January, and the 6th, of course, is the day when all of the trees and the lights and the decorations and everything to do with Christmas should be put back in the attic or the shed or whatever it is you're doing them. But this morning, uh, the Echo has an article saying that the people of Cork have been asked to leave their Christmas lights up through the month of January. Um, just, you know, it's fair, it's fucking dark in the morning as in the evenings. And, you know, maybe it wouldn't be such a bad idea to extend Christmas. I'm not suggesting we should be playing any more Christmas music on the air. Not for a moment. Leave that alone. I mean, shopping malls, actually, <laughs> yesterday, that were still playing rocking around the Christmas tree. But would it be a good idea, maybe, just to leave everything alone until the 31st of January? You're probably either in agreement with me now, or you're tearing your hair out demented at my stupidity. But it's a thought anyway, and I'll leave it to you to, to mull over it. Also, um, one other thing, things that wreck your head. Well, there's one of them that might be a thing of the past, and that is the batteries in your remote controls at home. God only knows. 
You never have the one to fit it. There's never enough of them. You take them out and you rattle them around in your hands and you put them in again trying to make that damn remote control work. That could well be a thing of the past because Samsung have now developed a technology that will no longer require batteries in your remote control. Um, suffice to say uh, that it's a game changer because instead of batteries, the remote control will pick up all of the radio waves from the, your Wi-Fi routers, all the stuff that's floating around in the house anyway, radio waves, and that will charge the remote. So you'll never need a remote control battery again. Not quite sure when it'll go on general release, but it will come as an absolute boon to many of us that never have batteries when we need them. And also, you're talking about tech. And they said way back in the day, I can't even remember when the first Apple iPhone uh, came about. I mean, it must be about 20, 25 years ago at this stage. They said it would never take off. Well, they were wrong because Apple is now a $3 trillion company. The first firm ever to reach $3 trillion. Apple. Uh, all from a small little phone that we're all slaves to. The Neil Prenderville Show. Morning all, lines are open. Brand new phone number only from this morning. Uh, and of course, everything changed with regards to the old 1850 number. So it's a brand new number now. Only 0818-104-106. 0818-104-106. Now that's just for phoning. Uh, text number stays the same, 0868104106. And that also is the same text number for WhatsApp. But actually to pick up the phone and call us from this morning, 0818104106. That's my lifeline to you guys. And I want to stay in touch with you. But anyway, your calls are welcome as always. And so are your texts, particularly if you have a, an opinion or a thought on the minimum pricing with regards to alcohol. And we'll come back to it a little later on this morning because there's many people win here. You know, the manufacturer, the retail, and the government, of course, with increased amounts of excise, VAT, and tax. But it's the punter who gets hammered again. And maybe it's a good thing. Maybe our price of alcohol is too cheap. Maybe we have an overdependence on alcohol. Maybe our relationship with it is unhealthy. Text 0868104106. But what was 2021 like? For the day that's in it, as we head gently into the new year, let's cast a look back at the year 2021. Happy to say that Paul Byrne, a Southern correspondent with Virgin Media News, joins me by phone and has been putting some work into it over the Christmas period. Paul, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Um, it seemed to fly by, didn't it? Or is it my imagination? You know, I think since COVID uh, struck, I don't know what day of the week That's we have, what month, what year. That Honest is a God fact. It. Yeah, yeah. I'm lost, honestly, yeah. because you say, oh, that was last year. No, that was actually the year before. So I, I think we're we're caught in a time warp at the moment. It's just strange. And it's weird strange because times. 2021 kind of morphed into, 20, you know, 2020, didn't it? it? It was like as if it was the same year. You know what I mean? Am I making sense? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. People are asking themselves, wasn't that last month? No, that was the month before, or that was nine, 2019. We're actually going back to 2019 in some cases, Neil, with the COVID. You know, it's just our 2020. You see, I'm, I'm getting lost as well. Yeah, and of course, know. what we did have in January of last year, which was 2021, was the big spike in COVID numbers. And without dwelling on it too much, of course, everybody got a fright in January. Mind you, we have now seen that number from last year completely eclipsed now because there were more people tested positive for COVID over the Christmas than the entire period of the year 2020. So, you know, like you you can write nothing in stone anymore now, numbers wise. 
No, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking in excess of 120, 130,000 people over Christmas, I think, have tested positive. I mean, it's absolutely frightening the, the, the way the numbers are going. I know the government today will be looking at trying to reduce the isolation period because, you know, if it continues the way it is and we have to isolate for 10 or 7 to 10 days, the country is going to come to a standstill. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. It's inevitable. Well, the great, thing, the great thing to report is that with regards to Omicron and people who are getting it now, it's very, very mild. Now, notwithstanding that people who will still underlying conditions will end up in hospital, but the vast majority of people, this will be your light flu or your cold. I understand that's the case. All right, I, I think it's very highly transmissible, but uh, transmissible, but it's 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 supposed to be kind of a light uh, flu, like cold, and that people won't be as severely sick as they were with the Delta variant. So, if there's any light at the end of the tunnel, maybe that's some little bit of chink of light there, really, in that sense. So, 2021. How did it start for you guys? I mean, what were you what were you covering on television January last year? Um, well, I suppose it started like it finished. We were doing COVID stories, you know, quite a lot. Um, hospitals were swamped with patients. There was a staffing crisis in hospitals. So many people out of work sick, like just today. It's like a microcosm, really, of what happened last year. But I suppose the, the first big story of January in 2021 was the commission of investigation into the mother and baby homes. You were spanning an investigation period from 1922 to 1998. And the Commission of Investigation uh, looked into the books and the records of something like 14 homes across the country. Now, the report found that um, there was nothing to suggest that the state forced the women into the homes, but basically these women, some of them unmarried mothers, had no alternative but to go to the mother and baby home to give birth because unfortunately back then there was a lot of shame and people were cast aside and daughters were taken to these homes like Besborough here on her own doorstep. You had 9,000 children who died in these mother and baby homes and you know buried in unmarked graves in homes right across the country. The Commission of Investigation found that no doubt there was subject, the women were subjected to a lot of emotional abuse, uh, physical abuse in some cases, but not sexual abuse, thankfully. The final recommendation of the report back in um, January of this year was that adopted people had the right to go and look to find their birth cert and also birth information. Yeah, so yeah. I know for years and years, people who have been in and out of the mothers and baby homes, they've been campaigning for the right to, you know, for this information. And thankfully, again, if that was any little bit of light or any bit of hope that eventually they, the commission had found that that was one of the recommendations. Very short clip here actually from back there in January of last year I was chatting with Joan McDermott who was a Besborough survivor herself. There still are babies from the 70s or indeed the 80s that are unaccountable for who died. We're talking about over 900 babies. Where are they buried? That's a $6,000 question Neil. They have to be buried somewhere. It was common practice going back that undertakers would take the babies and put them into the coffins when they're burying adults. That's right, between the legs of the corpse. Between the legs of the corpse. And I mean, an undertaker told me that personally himself. So we know about Tuam, of course, and the babies buried, but we're still no clearer about Besborough, Paul. 
No, unfortunately. And, you know, Bessborough is in the news again uh, all year long mm. uh, for planning permission for apartments. And there's talk that there's a lot of babies buried down there. And, you know, there's a lot of survivors here in Cork are adamant that nothing can be built on while they're classed as sacred ground. And unless they, you know, they want to unearth it and conduct a dig to see if there are any remains. But it's been suggested that there aren't any remains down there by so-called experts. The mothers who have been in there will say otherwise. Yeah. And I don't think there will be a definitive answer until maybe that ground is um, uh, you, you know, d- d- investigated thoroughly, a, a dig is conducted, or just left as it is with the monument. And of course the actual report itself said that um, much of the blame should be led on the wider society, that everybody at the time was complicit in the need for mother and baby homes. Uh, I read a lot of it, not the whole thing, but certainly read every single paragraph regarding Besborough itself. And I thought it felt very short, I thought it felt very short of the mark, to be quite honest with you. Um, um, and I know talking, maybe you did as well, to many of the mothers back then uh, who went and gave testimony. Um, much of their testimony was down to single and two paragraphs. It was very, very, very weak in that regard, I thought. Yeah, I spoke to several mothers and, you know, they said they sat there for hours um telling everything about their lives um, what happened, how they became pregnant, who made them pregnant uh, how they were forced into yes. the mothers and baby home and they read the, 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 the findings and one of them said, that's my story I spoke for four hours yeah. and there it is, yeah. in ten words Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? That was the Mother and Baby Home Judicial Commission. Um, of course then we had the remains of uh, an elderly woman together with crucifixes Parts of coffins found on um, the discarded, now defunct, East Cork rail line, right? That was in March. That was in March, but I want to take you back briefly to January because it was there, it was in January that the remains were actually found. Um, You're you're talking outside Middleton, an area called Dungorny. It's an area called the the Shanty Pass. And it was the old railway line linking Middleton to Yall. And work was being carried out by a number of workmen who were clearing away the, 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 the area to make way for a new greenway. And this discovery was made and initially everybody suggested that these were the remains of Tina Satchwell right. who had gone missing from her home in Yall uh, nearly five years ago at that stage. And there was a, a thorough investigation and then in March of this year, uh, 2021, um, Superintendent Adrian Gamble, who's head of the East Court Division in Middleton, uh, held a press conference to say that the remains were identified as those of a woman in her 70s. They believed that the remains had been there for 10 years. The woman was 5 foot 5, 2 inches in height. And that they, they did confirm that uh, coffin handles were found, that the woman, uh, there was a shroud also found, and a crucifix. But despite a major investigation, despite numerous appeals, despite searches of graveyards, despite interviewing grave uh, undertakers and grave diggers, nobody has come forward to say, this is my mother, this is my sister, this is my aunt. But it's it's understood that somebody, there may have been some disquiet in the family and that the body was uh, exhumed and just placed here on the on the shanty pass. Isn't it's a that? very, very sad story. And did they ever it's, determine cause of death or anything like that? <clears throat> um, they weren't able to determine the cause of death, as, as far as I know. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't established unless they're withholding that. But I would reckon 
that that woman was in her 70s. Um, she died maybe from old age. Um, yeah. she, the, the remains were there for 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, 10 years so there on the track. That's what they were saying. The Absolutely. You know, it's, it's frightening. And that investigation is still very much active. And the superintendent down there, Adrian Gamble, is still appealing to anybody who has information to come forward. Because guards always say that somebody knows something, don't they? They've exactly. Always that, I was yeah. just going to say it. Yeah. Somebody has the key to this puzzle. You know, there's a piece missing in the jigsaw. Somebody out there has it and they're appealing to somebody to come forward. Obviously, it's, it's a criminal offence what has occurred. You know, to exhume the body and then to just basically dump it yeah. elsewhere. And I know somebody is obviously petrified to come forward. I mean... <clears throat> somebody, the person who exudes the remains knows what they've done, but there could be somebody else out there knows that so-and-so exhumed those remains. Of course, for those months, thank you for that, uh, Paul, for those months of January particularly and into February and March, we were in all sorts of lockdowns and restrictions and many businesses were, were shut down. But we did see some green shoots, didn't we, uh, around about the back end of March, early April, when the hair salons got to open, wasn't that right? <laughs> If you pardon the pun, that was the highlight of the year. I mean, there was dreadlocks, roots, uh, people were going around, uh, some people were wearing wigs to disguise their, their head of hair, the mop of head of hair on their head. It was honestly, like, people were, it was like... DIY jobs at home with scissors. <laughs> oh yeah, the black market hairdressers and barbers were making a fortune, you know, people sneaking in and That's barbers right. became very, very popular people calling late at night and, um, you know, I, I know of one case where somebody had a trailer out the back of their house, a horse box, so not only were the horse boxes being used for coffee and donuts, they were oh also being used as uh, makeshift barbers and makeshift hairdressers. I think, I, had some, but, uh, I think I have some audio actually from Joe from Joe's hair salon back then have a listen to this hairdressers and barbers are now saying that they're almost being threatened by customers if you don't cut my hair yeah. I'm getting it done with someone else and I'm never coming back to you Neil I was off 100 euros to go to someone's house and have dinner as well while I'm cutting the hair <laughs> you know of course I wouldn't in the last lockdown I think some are greedy I think some are going out there doing it and it's giving us all a bad name then there is actually some salon owners I know for a fact that are doing it which is shocking. We should be in solidarity with each other because that's how we're going to get through this. Everybody rushing back to get their hair done and everybody was happy in one way. Actually, it was an interesting year because the population rose to 5 million last year for the first time ever. We also had poor baby John's baby body exhumed down in Cahar Savine, the Kerry baby from 1984. He'd be 37 going on 38 now. Uh, we also, of course, had Golfgate, Marion Gate. And interestingly, one story that you were probably across at the time was the cancelled 999 calls. Do you remember those? The guards got into a bit of, particularly the 999 calls that were cancelled dealing with domestic abuse. That was one big story involving law and order at the time last year, remember? I, I, it was indeed. I mean, it, it was quite embarrassing for the guards and I know that investigation is still underway to determine really what had went wrong. Yeah. Um, the police inspectorate are, are carrying out their own investigation. Um, it didn't do any favours for the, the force. Uh, I suppose, you know, the, you know, if you ring 999, you want a response. Yeah. Whether it's somebody breaking into the back of your house or in particular a domestic abuse issue, you want a response, you want somebody there and you don't certainly want to be part of an investigation now to find out that that call wasn't dealt with uh, in a proper fashion. You got it. Hold on there. We'll pick it up after the break. We're having a look with Paul Byrne at the year that was, 2021. Neil's got a new number. Call him now on 0818 104 106. 
And, of course, the Olympics came along in the month of May. I wasn't here at the time. Mick Maul was on the air. And he got to chat with our double. Actually, we had more than the double gold for Fintan McCarthy and Paula Donovan in the Olympics because we had a bronze as well from Emily Hegarty. Little bit of audio from back in the day. I have an aged to this. Hello, Neil. Oh, sorry, hang on. One second now before I get my stuff together. Olympic gold for Ireland, Paula Donovan and Fintan McCarthy. We're very happy to speak to Paul's mother. Morning. Trish, they've lifted the nation. You must be one of the proudest women on the planet today. Oh, for sure, yeah. It's what they deserve. They've showed everybody in all of the world that two young boys from a rural club could be on the world stage. If you threw a stone in Skibreen, you're likely to hit an Olympian. Will the bunting be out in Skibreen, even if the crowds can't be? I think the champagne is out. Come on, man. The bunting got blown away with the storm we had yesterday. <laughs> now, we just played an audio clip of Paul saying he was ignoring you all week. So she's going to be fairly annoyed. Now I get home, I get a crack of the hand across the face, I'd say. <laughs> Oh, too right, you got one of them. <laughs> She's an incredible woman. I'd love to chat it to her. If you threw a stone in West Cork, you'd hit an Olympian. It was great stuff. Anyway, I suppose the whole of the county was celebrating that one, Paul. Oh, it was unbelievable. I was down there the following morning, and Paul's mother and the whole family, she is one character. Yeah. She is a gas woman. We were down there for about half eight or nine, and they were having the breakfast, a bowl of porridge, and being... You know, instead of the milk, they were putting the champagne into the porridge. It was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Maybe that's the secret. <laughs> oh, unreal. I, and as she said, like, I mean, like, this is a small little rowing club, uh, West uh, Skibbereen Rowing Club. The centre of the universe it became then, obviously, because you had Finton and Paul, who were made history, really. They took gold. They claimed gold in the, the lightweight double skulls. and They just pipped Germany. But it was hard work. It was an incredible race. And people who weren't in the, even into rowing sat down to watch this race. It was incredible. And, you know, the, the O'Donovan brothers and Finton, very laid back, um, took it in their stride. I remember... Paul, in one of the interviews afterwards, he said, like, um, oh, this is a great achievement, Paul, for you. He said, yours is all right, like, you know, he said, I wouldn't be going around <laughs> telling everyone I want to go and medal, like, <laughs> it's just so cool. I mean, I often hear, you know, like they say, oh, he's a sleeping partner, and he's a business partner, a sleeping partner. Oh, Donovan would be kind of a fellow in, in a business partner, he'd be in a coma. <laughs> so, so laid back, like, it's incredible. But there was a wonderful atmosphere down there. But very, very grounded, Paul and uh, Fintan McCarthy, and Morse because of their parents, so, so genuine, lovely, uh, both sets of parents, and also congratulations again to, of course, you mentioned there, Emily Hegarty, who took bronze in the um, Irish women's cockless four in the rowing as well. well. Done to her. It was yeah. an incredible achievement, and, and again, I was down at Skibreen on a few occasions, and so many people turned uh, to rowing after that because they inspired young people to take up the, sp- the sport of rowing and it's incredible. Yeah, it certainly Great. was and it lifted our spirits in the middle of uh, this pandemic that we were going through last year and that was in the month of May but sadly also in May saw the um, finishing of the protest of the Debenhams workers after what? Something like well over 400 days of protesting, wasn't it? 407 days. I think it was in 2019 that the stores closed and again, and but it was in March or in, in May of 2021 that the, the protest eventually finished up. Yeah. These uh, workers in both Mahan and Patrick Street, the Old Roaches building and in stores in Limerick and Kerry and right across the country, it was something like 1,100 workers laid off in Debenhams and you had very, very 
committed workers who were seeking a better redundancy deal. Um, you know, eventually they walked away with a package of something like €3 million, Euro, but that was in retraining grants. Uh, some of them just said, look, they were too long in the tooth to be retrained in anything. But they really showed, I suppose, that workers sometimes can be left uh, fighting uh, for, for their lives. Yeah, because really Debenhams didn't voted. want to know and they turned to the state and the government for help. Were they very disappointed in the end? Oh, they felt kicked in the teeth. Yeah. Absolutely. They felt betrayed by the state. These are people who paid PRSIPAY for years and years and, you know, worked very hard and, um, you know, some of them had been in Roche stores and they were, you know, Neil, a lot of these people, they were part and parcel of Cork. You have the st- I said it to one of them, you're like the statue in the Grand, or the Partick Street. You're famous. These people became famous for all the wrong reasons, but they were part and parcel of Cork's, you know, history of retail, retail history. And, you know, they really felt let down. They were calling on the Taoiseach and the Taunish, uh, the Taoiseach, Michal Martin, on their own doorstep. They met with him several times, but he basically they said wouldn't that his do hands it. were tied. They wouldn't he couldn't cave in. I think, uh, I suppose, if he was found to be caved in, caved in to, to their demands, he was have to go into, but, have to cave into everyone. But it was still demands. three million euro, but they wanted the three million to be distributed amongst the staff, but instead the three million was spent on retraining. Uh, yeah, it's the same said, money. You know? Yeah, and yeah, some of them said, "Look, there's, I'm, I'm too old to be retrained or anything. I don't even know how to use a computer or whatever yeah. like that." Yeah. You know. Yeah. But look, I must take my hat off. There was two people that you know really held the fort down there. That was Valerie Conlon and Madeline Whelan. They were the two people who really fought the fight down there, morning, noon, and night, for, with all of the other workers. And um, you know, I think they have. Tr- they're they're really trying to uh, set the bar here that. It won't happen again. Yeah, yeah. Right now, there's no legislation in place to say that it will, it won't happen, but they really fought for it and they're hoping that, you know, something can be done to prevent yeah. it from happening okay. in the future. Okay. Also, in the same month of May, of course, we had the HSE cyber attack. No <coughs> time's a good time for a cyber attack on our health system, but right in the middle of a pandemic, it couldn't come at a worse time. I remember at the time talking to uh, security, cyber security experts on the air at the time. Here's about 30 seconds of that. Is it just inevitable that there one step ahead of us all of the time, the cyber criminals? Right now, what has happened is so profoundly insane, the scale of this attack. We're in the midst of a pandemic and they've taken the health service for an entire country. Their tactic is that they dump that data publicly if you do not pay. Have you dealt but with I, companies I, who have paid? I made a payment last week for a company in Asia for, to a bunch of hackers in St. Petersburg. I negotiated with them. How much? Um, a million euros. Good God. He's an amazing guy. That's Ronan Murphy from Smart yeah. Tech. I could, I could talk to him all morning with the stories he could tell you. But I believe that they were looking, probably Russian hackers, for something like 30 to 50 million to release the system. The government didn't pay out. No, and I've interviewed Ronan myself on a few occasions in relation to cybersecurity. And he, as you said, he's a fascinating yeah. guy to interview. And the stories he can tell you, like that people are being held to ransom. Um, once they get into your system, you're knackered and that's it. And if the HSE wasn't under enough stress and strain uh, I, I, during the pandemic, here comes the cyber attack. And basically, they were sent back into the Stone Age because they had to revert back to pen and paper. Yeah. It was incredible, you know, the files taken out places. As you said, they were demanding 30 to 50 million and uh, our understanding is that the government just didn't give them a penny and things worked their way out. But it showed that the system that they were using <clears throat> was wide open to be abused.
Yeah, they say that to replace the 30,000 devices alone after the cyber attack cost 30 million. Costly experience. Yeah, and probably probably they figured that the HSE's final bill, according to the Irish Times in the middle of last year, would be north of 100 million euro. I'm not suggesting they should have paid, but by not paying, it cost them three times, four times more. Yeah, look, I think if you paid, you were wide open to be abused again on several other occasions and the, the taxpayer would be livid if they paid out the money to, to the hackers. Uh, yes, it did cost us probably three or four times more, but um, hopefully we've learned our lesson and that security has been tightened up. How was the summer? The one thing I remember about the summer was the big heat wave we had in July. Do you remember that? I do, because luckily enough, I just took myself off to Heaven on Earth, which is Ardmore in County Waterford, where I go on holidays. I just got down there, and um, it was absolutely beautiful. The sun was splitting the stones, and you know what? We all deserved a bit of sunshine after what we had gone through uh, from January up to July, and thankfully the sun was shining. Everybody was in good form, to, 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 to say the least. It did brighten our spirits, and when I was on holidays, I think I was only down there a day or two at this stage, <clears throat> I got a call from one of the locals to say that Wally the Walrus had uh, arrived on our doorstep and uh, I went over by the Cliff Hotel in Ardmore and there he was outside banning in the Ardmore sunshine in a rib and the owner of the Cliff Hotel was petrified because he had just bought his rib which could have cost him about 50 or 60 grand here was Wally the Walrus with his big tusks piercing the side of it and you had everybody down looking in it became a big big tourist attraction um I got on to Rory, my cameraman. He came down. Um, he was went out with one of the local fishermen filming Wally the Walrus. And Wally was in Ardmore for, Jesus, a week or so. And despite warnings from people to stay away, you know, obviously people were going out in their kayaks and their canoes and swimming nearby. I mean, this guy, while he looks a big slob of a fella and, you know, the tusks and he's an ugly look at him. Actually, he makes my mother-in-law look like this world. But... People were being warned to stay away from him because while he was slobbery and, you know, he looked big fatty and all that, he would come at you at a ferocious speed and just basically kill you if he wanted to, if he but hit he, you. He did, he did move from Ardmore. He probably decided to leg it out of Ardmore when you decided to go to Ardmore in your halls. And he headed he west. He went, <laughs> he went down to West Cork, down to Crookhaven, all the boys from Skull and Lots. And I remember at the time speaking, hold on a second, because I spoke to Podrick Hooley at the time from the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. Have a listen. Do you know what's capturing everybody's attention? Wally the Walrus. Oh, unless you're a boat owner, because he's around the coast of Cork wrecking people's boats and, and ribs. He sank a couple, and God knows he must have damaged others. Yeah, well, he's just doing what walruses do. They haul out, and he must be finding this great crack, because, you know, to be honest, you know, every time he hauls out in, in his natural habitat, he'd have to be looking over his shoulder to check that there's not a polar bear uh, around, so he doesn't have that problem here. While he's on the way home, a photographer above in Iceland took a photograph of him. I hope he gives us a five-star trip advisor review. He left Crookhaven in West Cork on August the 30th. Two nights ago, we turned up in a place called HOFN, which apparently in Icelandic is pronounced up. I hope he's not sinking any boats up Iceland way, no? Well, we haven't heard that he is. Mind you, in, in one or two of those pictures, we did see that the Icelandics were throwing him lots of fish. Of course, walruses don't eat fish. So <laughs> you were telling me that, yeah. 
<laughs> so he might have lost fungi, but for a little while at least, our spirits were lifted by Wally the Walrus. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think a lot of people were hoping that he'd stay around, you know, that we could capitalise on it. But um, it, I know it was an incredible sight, honestly, to, to see him out there. It was, it was beautiful, fabulous looking um, animal, absolutely and, gorgeous. And before the summer was over at all, of course, we had another visitor come to Cork, but these visitors will stay. The robot trees on Leaside. Remember that? Well, I was actually away again for that and I remember there being commotion that somebody overnight had put a load of pallets on Patrick Street <laughs> and a load of pallets down in the Grand Parade and people were saying, but there's a television in the middle of them, what's going on? That's right. And people just couldn't understand but it transpired that these were something to do with the environment and cleaning up our, our, the environment to make our places a, a safer and better place to live. But... Um, Three of them were installed at a cost of €350,000. Um, and apparently, they're as close to useless as you can get. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame that that money was spent. God, um, a lot of people said that at the time. Look, environmentalists will say otherwise, but uh, it, it was a very divisive, divisive, divisive um, issue at the time. But look, they're still there. Yes, I, and they I, haven't been enough, vandalised, peculiarly. No, I was just going to say that, funnily enough, any time I pass them, I haven't seen anybody climbing up on them. I thought there would. I, I, no, I'm not saying I don't climb or pass it at 2 o'clock in the morning when people are coming out of the clubs or yeah. whatever like that. I mean, but I do think it will come at some stage when somebody would climb and fall off and break their leg and sue from the, the corporation for a few bobs. Hang on a second, because I remember at the time we got an awful lot of calls about it and the vast majority of them were very angry. Where do you start with Cork's robot trees? I find it impossible, actually, to find any text at all that's positive about it. Well, I tell you one thing, they're going to be great for kids and fellas that's full up a port at 2 o'clock in the morning because they'll be training up like levels. Be my eyes now. Could you climb them? Uh, I'm 60 years of age and I can't go up and top them, though. There's no bother there. It they look like a coffee dot. Has it got an espresso machine installed? Like, put in your 2 euro and you get a shot of coffee. No, maybe that might be the next addition to the robot trees on Leaside. And sad news, of course, because we lost an awful lot of legends last year and he's here on Leeside we lost the one and only Bill O'Connell yeah I mean the city was plunged into mourning that day Neil uh, Bill of course part and parcel again of Cork's rich uh, entertainment scene um, he, he made his debut in the Opera House in 1947 he was still in short pants at that stage um, there was so many pantomimes around the city at the time he starred in most of them uh, of course he also starred in Summer Revels and the Swans uh, he published his own biography back in 2000 just Billa yeah. 30 years um, he was on the South Main Street where he worked as, for Beamish and Crawford as a rep yeah. um, you know Billa was a real Cork man he loved his city um, he was charming and pretty as he said his song Beautiful City by the Lee he was a great friend to the late uh, the real Shock Jack Lynch he was also a great friend to his on stage partner Paddy Comerford who's famous for the, the pigeon joke um, Billa also re- received freedom of the city back in uh, a couple of years ago mm. unfortunately he died at the age of 91 mm. uh, he was a great friend of course to Simbar and Dolly O'Shea and the family and all the staff at the Flying Enterprise and uh, he actually became the voice of the Flying Enterprise in his adverts uh, in later life uh, you know he, and at the end of it he said remember the Flying Enterprise and she's still only a stone throw off in the cathedral that's right I forgot about that radio advertising campaign I remember yeah. at the time of his death talking with uh, with Charlotte who acted with him down through the years even on the stages of the Opera House from many many pantos very very sad news I'm just hearing it in the last few minutes that the Bill O'Connell 
has died at the age of 91. Did you know all down through the years that Billa was special? It must have been apparent working with him that you were dealing with a genius. Every night, I will never, ever forget it. I had to keep a straight face (laughs) and they had a big ball in front of the two of them. And Paddy and Billa, they were saying, we gaze into the crystal ball (laughs) and I just had to keep serious. Ah, sad. And apparently a lot of the time you didn't know what Billa was going to do next on stage, you see, Paul. So you were always on alert. It could go off script. Yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I knew Billa myself through a lot of the entertainment shows that I was involved in and uh, I saw to the earth and, uh, and a terrible loss to the, the entertainment scene. And I know he's sadly missed by his wife, Nell, and six children. And uh, didn't we also lose, was it last year we lost Brendan Grace as That's well? That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Many of the goods went last year. Um, yeah. We also had the 20th anniversary of 9-11, of course. Uh, and that was very significant here on Side. Uh, because um, I was off at the time, but Mick Mulcahy was on the air talking uh, with Mark Clifford. You know, Mark the mm-hmm. Cork man, he lost his sister Ruth and his niece Giuliani. She was only four years old and she was on one of the flights there. She was on flight 175 out of Boston, I believe. Yeah, that that, that was an incredible story. I mean, you know, Mark, uh, I interviewed him on a few occasions. Um, extremely strong man to interview, but extremely sad and you know that he lost his beautiful sister his beautiful niece and whoever would have thought that here his niece uh, sister and niece on a plane crashes into one of the twin towers and who would have thought that his brother was in the building at the same time that's right that's right that's right but his brother ron ron escaped with his life but you couldn't write that script neil small bit of audio actually from mark chatting with mick mull at the time ruth had been confirmed that she and juliana had been on the plane and ended up in the 9-11 attack. Ruth was 44, her daughter Juliana was just four. Two gorgeous human beings taken so tragically. We got Ruth's body back about nine months after the 9-11 attack. About 18 months later then, they identified Juliana and, and they had remains for us to bury. We were able to put the two of them together so they're side by side and sent them our cemetery on Glashine Road in Cork. Loveliest guy, Mark Clifford. Uh, went to school with him many years ago. We're up to the month of September. We'll pick it up after the break with Paul Byrne. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. A lot of other issues going on, not just locally, but nationally. You might recall last year also was uh, the time that Michael D. Higgins said that he wouldn't go north to that commemoration. And there was a lot of division about that at the time. And also here on Lee side, we had the uh, runway debacle of all of the times to close the runway at Cork Airport. They did it just as a aviation was opening up. Now, in fairness to them, they delivered on time. They did, Neil. It was actually a very brave decision by Niall McCarthy and the team at Cork Airport. Um, You know, you had a lot of tour operators and uh, airlines giving out that here we had the second second, second busiest airport in the country closing down, basically. But look, they were doing this for essential works to be carried out on the runway. It cost... um, the taxpayer 40 million euro to to improve the runway and to do what had to be carried out but it was essential it was the fastest and largest scale operation of its kind in the history of the state nobody said it could be done you had about 430 people working around the clock but I, I have to take my hat off to Niall McCarthy and everybody involved it showed 
that when there's commitment, when there's determination, we can do it. Yeah. And thankfully, it came in on budget. Yeah. And I, t- I honestly feel that if if Noel McCarthy and his team, if, if, if there was this slightest connection, I suppose, if anybody from the government was involved in this, while they give the taxpayer, they gave us... They gave the money, the taxpayers' money, to the airport. But I think if anybody from the government was involved, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, yeah. maybe Cork Airport's management should take over the building and running of the convention and conference centre because we're into the seventh calendar year now, I think. This country needs a lot of people from the private sector involved around the cabinet table making decisions. These are people with a vast experience in how to run operations. A lot of people around that cabinet table do not have any business acumen. And that's why this country is the way it is. One of the saddest stories that I came across was also in the month of September. Of course, we have the ongoing cervical smear uh, scandal and those lives that are being lost because of it. But we also have the organ incineration scandal. And I remember the time talking with uh, a very beautiful woman, powerful, brave woman, Leona Birmingham. And she was chatting with me uh, about the moment that her newborn baby, Lee, who was one of twins, died. Now, she and her husband, Glenn, were left traumatized when they learned that his organs were incinerated abroad without their knowledge and consent. The organs of 18 babies incinerated alongside clinical waste without their bereaved parents' consent. Then they gave me the devastating news that Lee's organs, they didn't say which organs, have been incinerated. How did you feel about that? Incinerated in Antwerp in Belgium and it was devastating. I I couldn't believe that for one it was incinerated and for two that wasn't even in the country. My grief has turned to anger. I'm so angry at the hospital. I'm so angry that this can happen in this in this day and age. So glad that she did come on air and talk about it because people needed to know, right, Paul? Yeah, a very, very upsetting case. Um, incredible. 18, uh, the organs of 18 infants mm. incinerated. Uh, um, the HSE at the time as well were saying uh, they put it down a lot to this to COVID. They were under pressure. But, you know, it, it just didn't make sense. And um, Leona there, as you spoke to, one brave lady. Yeah. And, you know, two, we must remember that baby Lee, who died, was a twin to Lewis. Mm. And, um, you know, I suppose Lee will always be part of that family. And just finally, just to wrap up the year, very, very sad news then, of course, regarding um, the death of uh, mother and baby at the CUMH. Marie Downey passed away um, and unfortunately her little four-year-old son Dara as well. That was tragic. And of course, we had the inquest, didn't we? Yeah, for, uh, baby Dara was only four days old. Um, they, yes, mum Marie um, suffered from epilepsy and one of her biggest fears was that she would have an epileptic seizure while she was breastfeeding and unfortunately she was in a ward, uh, a room on her own in, in the hospital. Um, she suffered an epileptic seizure, fell from the bed and smothered baby Dara who was who basically trapped underneath his mum. Uh, the medics, when they found her, that they found that baby Dara um, was still alive. They did all they could to save him, but uh, he died uh, just four days old. Uh, Marie died from a broken neck. She died instantly. It was one of the most harrowing inquests I've covered. Four days at the Riverley Hotel. The inquest was held over four days. It, it honestly, it was so so moving. Didn't the coroner and talk of certain system failures at the time? Oh yeah, I mean the the you know the 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 hotel or the the hospital um, apologised 
to the family. They acknowledged that it was medical negligence. That was the verdict returned at the end of the day. They've made several recommendations, the hospital findings of a report, but Kieran Downey, uh, husband to Marie and father to baby Darry, said basically it's just ink on paper and he wants to ensure that all of those recommendations are followed up. He will do his level best to make sure they are. He'll keep across it. He's not going to let mm. it die. He's not going to just walk away from it. He's going to hone them until each and every one of those recommendations are put in place and to ensure that it'll never, ever happen again to another family. That's just a selected look at the year that was, 2021. Who knows what 2022 will be like? I mean, we said this time last year that we'd see huge changes and we'd be out the gap within a matter of months. I wonder, are we any smarter to say that again now? Who knows? I don't think so. The way the figures are going, um, I, I, for the record, I, I do actually. I, I think I think differently. I think that in I, the I, next I hope so. I hope so. And you know who man who I have great faith in actually is Professor Luke O'Neill. Hmm. Um, he's quite optimistic very, at the weekend, wasn't he? He's, he? He was. He's very optimistic. He says, "Look, we'll be out the gap hopefully in twelve months' time." I hope to God he's right because we need to see some light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, the figures, the, 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 the numbers are frightening, but hopefully we can get to grips with it and if we can just, uh, you know, flatten the curve as it were and nothing else comes along. So hopefully 2022, by December that we'll be talking here, let's enjoy Christmas, let's have a ball, open the pubs, celebrate uh, responsibly, but hopefully we'll have a, a better Christmas next year than we had this time. Okay, but you're saying you're um, saying 12 months time. I'm thinking about more like 12 weeks time, but let's see what happens. <laughs> and have you made any New Year's resolutions? No, I'm not a believer in any New Year's resolutions. Well, I think I'm they're bad news. Here now, right? I'm going to tell you now what you need to improve, right? right? For people who don't know you, you have this terrible habit of not replying to texts or emails. <laughs> Okay, it is something that infuriates me when I send you a message. Emer, likewise, she thinks it's terrible. It's a terrible trait of yours. Brenda's head is done in. When somebody sends you a message, Brendaville, please acknowledge. I it. do acknowledge it, it, but it's not you always not, immediately. You do, yeah. Neil, you do not. Okay, okay. just press the thank you button or the thumbs up button. Acknowledge it. That what? No, just what's a thumbs up button? I, that, I, where's that on the te- Where's that on the phone? Shut up. Listen, say, I Neil Prendeville. I Neil Prendeville. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. To acknowledge all texts and emails. To acknowledge all texts and emails. Within a 24-hour period. Within a 24-hour period. From this day, the 4th of January, 2022. From this day, the 4th of January, 2022. So help me I'll God. I'll stick you to it. Right. Good luck. Happy New Year. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville Show And you can text 0868104106 Pick up the phone on 0818104106 That's the new phone number We're talking about different stories with Paul Byrne Looking back at 2021 earlier on And of course much of it was around the HSE And issues involving uh, COVID And you know restrictions um, You know guidelines And uh, all sorts of things to do with that. And then, of course, Omicron came along. And then many people got very unhappy about way, the way government was dealing with it and ministers were dealing with it. And there was an increased amount of security fears against ministers. And that's why over the Christmas, I don't know whether you were aware of it or not, but uh, because it, up until then, it was Michal Martin, Leo Varadkar and Helen McEntee and also Simon Coveney, uh, who had uh, Garda protection drivers. But now... There's a few more have been added into the mix. Pascal Donoghue, uh, Stephen Donnelly and our own.
own public expenditure minister, Michael McGrath. Uh, they also now will get uh, full-time protection, and that will include the use of two Garda drivers each, and that's also been confirmed. It also came over the Christmas when we also learned that the boss of the HSE, Paul Reid, uh, whose salary is an eye-watering 429000 a year, he also has been using army personnel to drive him in a sponsored BMW motor car, by all accounts. So that was the story over the Christmas period. Uh, and it was uh, made even more interesting because apparently there was also a claim uh, for travel expenses uh, regarding um, Mr. Reed as well. Now, if you park all of that, and pardon the pun, you got to wonder how anybody, if it were in the private sector, how anybody would be earning in the private sector €429,000 to be um, overlooking as the chief executive boss of a private company if it were the HSE, which clearly has failed uh, and needs, um, uh, you know, root and branch change. And I know we've been saying that for decades, but it's still a handy salary to be drawing down for something as broken as, as the HSE. But then it was looking at the numbers with regards to how much it's costing us, for, you know, um, and it was an awful lot worse way back in the day. There were drivers for everybody and anybody, and it was costing like, there was like one stage 77 full-time drivers plus stand-ins, and it was costing something in the region of six million a year. There was even a time when all senior ministers had guard the drivers um, and a lot of hostility about it at the time um, but there's even more hostility now and that's why they're saying that the likes of Michael McGrath needs guard the drivers two of them because they need to work in shifts because uh, there's been protests outside some of the homes of leading politicians including uh, cabinet members so that's where we are uh, with that one um, but I think it's kind of interesting that uh, the boss of the HSE would be pulling down that kind of money uh, over 426,000 a year uh, and enjoy chauffeur services of an armored army driver and a sponsored vehicle at the same time. But there you go. While meanwhile, within hospitals themselves, if you had to go to a hospital and park up in a hospital, if you had a child that was sick and you had many, many visits to a hospital with a child, you'll pay a fairly hefty price when it comes to parking. And they said that they would change it and that they'd be kinder to people who were using hospital car parks, but they have not in any way, shape or form changed from what I can see. Like the Independent this morning looks at all of the hospitals nationally, but where I'm particularly interested in two in Cork, one is the South Infirmary, that is a charge of €13.95 for a day's parking. Or if you're out in the CUH, it's a daily charge of €15, um, probably one of the dearest in the country at €15. At, at the CUH. And they were working out the cost recently. Say, for instance, if you looked at uh, the Irish Cancer Society's report, say a family with a child who had cancer, who was um, in and out of hospital quite a lot um, for different, um, you know, cancer-related treatments and appointments. And they say that the cost uh, would come in at a month anywhere in the region of €400, Euro, as high as €1,000 to the family. Not, that's not car parking costs alone. I'm not suggesting that for a moment, but it's a fair chunk of it. But it includes all of the different things that families would have to do bringing their child to a hospital from a rural area. And that would be parking, eating out, the cost of transportation, the cost of accommodation, any kind of toll roads and things like that. The cost to your car could be as high as a grand a month if you were dealing with a sick child in hospital. Lines open on, as I say, our brand new number, 0818-104-106, and you can text 0868-104-106. This happened over the Christmas period. What an awful thing to happen to anybody over Christmas. And I'm not talking about testing positive. I'm talking about being robbed. Hannah, good morning. 
Hi Neil, how are you? Ah sure, what happened girl? It was awful. Was it was it Christmas Eve, Christmas night, something like that? Yeah, so it was Christmas night. It was around half twelve, so technically Stephen's day you could yeah, say. Yeah. Um yeah, we just went to bed. Um I was supposed to be locking up. I went up to wash up as I normally would. We heard one of the dogs barking downstairs, but he normally would bark at our other dog out of jealousy because he's normally not in the house, but he was in for Christmas. So we what? The That's barking. another story in itself. Yeah. One dog's left <laughs> in. And the, what's going on there? <laughs> this is, yeah, this is. It. <laughs> but come here, he, um, we ignored the barking anyway, um, and I was I heard the revving of the car in the drive, and my dad kind of shouted as well um, to say who's driving the car at this hour of the night, you know. Um, I got down to the front door and we all came down and the car was gone. I'd say in the space of about five minutes, they weren't even in the house and gone. And they took presents. They even took drink, like alcohol. They took cigarettes and, of course, in the car as well. Like Now, all of the things they took they were referring to were in the car. Were they in the boot or something? Yeah. See, there was, there, was, there was some alcohol in the boot as well, but there was some obviously brought in for the Christmas. Mm. And they took presents then on the way out. So they took my sister's handbag and there was gift cards and things like that. They get into so, the house at all? No, they did. They did. God, the keys were in the house. You see, sorry, yeah. So we reckon that they were out the back garden all the time to see in to the kitchen, t- like to the table where the keys were, because it was so messy on the table they couldn't just come in yeah. and found them in the dark. Let's say. Did you? Did, so but the, you did hear bottles clinking or something when you were upstairs, and then the dogs started barking. Or this you? is it. Yeah. So that was obviously them lifting the drink on the way out. But that's what we think anyway. But oh we reckon they were God. watching us from the back garden because the side gate was open and you couldn't see out because our lights were on inside. Yeah. So yeah. that day we might have seen the keys, waited for us to go to bed and then in and out in the flat. How did they the get thing. into the house, do you think? You see, our, I was going down to lock up, you see, so we were only going to bed at that time. Yeah. Um, so I was the last to go to bed and I was washing up and I was just coming down to leave the dogs out and... I only went upstairs for about two or three oh, minutes. Oh, right, you hadn't gone to you bed, see, they were in and out that fast. Yeah, so everyone was actually awake. This is a scary thing. We were awake, like they were so quiet in and out because our house is tiny. Like how we didn't hear anyone come in the front door is beyond me. But look, that's what happens anyway. And what space of time would all of that happen? I'm talking about just minutes, I guess. Minutes, yeah, yeah. See, like we all just went up to bed. I was in washing up, like just brushing my teeth and all that, like and in and out. I'd say it was not even three or four minutes, like, yeah. Okay, so they got money. Uh, they got presents, they got alcohol, as you're saying, they got cigarettes and everything, and they, did, they yeah. drove off in the car. They did, yeah, and, like, they were found in East Cork the next day by the guards. They failed to stop at a checkpoint, but, like, according to the guards, what was found in the car, because we haven't gotten anything back yet, but there was, like, chainsaws and things and, like, other household materials, so we reckon, like, they reckon that other houses were robbed on the way as well. Oh, my God. So we so, can't yeah. say much about that. They have been yeah, arrested. Bit, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, stopped, didn't stop at a guard at checkpoint, you're saying. Did you yeah. get anything back? We didn't at all. Like, the car is wrecked. Um, How is it wrecked? Sure. Was it crashed? Crashed, because they crashed, I think, in the meantime, when they were, you know, caught by the guards, but... Um, it's, the guard said it's completely wrecked. Like, yeah, there's nothing that they can do for the car. Like, it's written off. Like, you haven't seen it then. Um, you don't want to see we it. We haven't then. seen it yet. No. Um, yeah, I probably don't want to see it now. For my my mother's devastated. Like, you know, but. Oh um, my god! Yeah, On Christmas yeah. night. Yeah, and like it was my mother's first Christmas off in 25 years. Like, she's a care assistant and just the most hard working person on the planet. Like, and for her then to. And you probably had a fabulous Christmas, off, Christmas day. I'd say everything was just so lovely. Yeah, yeah, it's a complete shock to the system. Now we're all devastated. Like Stephen's know. day was to have been a disaster for you. 
It was, yeah, yeah. It was even my younger sister now, like, she's terrified, God love her. Like, she won't even, she'll leave the lights on now by night and everything. Like, she's just petrified. For anybody to come into your home, I know, that is a worry. Yeah, I know. And of course, there's no point saying they won't be back. Like, you know, you have to live with the with the shock of it and that's what uh, she's doing now unfortunately um, so uh, I, I hope to God that your insurance will cover the car and everything like that and maybe you might get some payout for things stolen from it as well are you looking into all of that? Yeah well we are um, the insurance kind of barely covers it now and it's, it's a finance car then of course so like she's still paying that back so it's just a bit of a disaster all around like, but yeah hopefully now we get compensated for something you know it's such a terrible thing to happen. And again, let it be a warning to everybody, you know? Yeah. Because they're, so, like, yeah. they're so brazen. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry if that happened to you. It really is awful. Um, but the only consolation is that, well, we'll have to see what happens before the courts. But, um, you know, you won't be financially compensated. So hopefully the insurance will go some. Do you need anything? Is there anything you need replacing or help with anything like that? Um, Jesus, I, I, I don't know. Really, just the car is the main thing. Like, but... Um, we did set up a GoFundMe myself and my sister. Like, um, Good. Sure we don't know how to advertise that or anything. Or you okay, know. okay. Well, where have you details of the GoFundMe and we can share it for you? Yeah, yeah, that would be brilliant. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I could email that forward. Do yeah. get that to me as soon as you can, and we'll share it and see if we can make. Uh, uh, well, just mitigate the pain somewhat. It's an awful thing to happen to anybody. I know. I know what it's like. My my own late grandmother-in-law. Uh, was also robbed on 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 Christmas night. Um, an awful lot more. Savage. No, nobody was hurt, but they did awful things inside in the house. Absolutely robbed everything, yeah. tore everything down, ripped down the Christmas tree. They even pooed on the carpet. They were absolute animals. Yeah. Like no animals. Like animals. Christmas night as well. Like you know, awful. sad. They don't have their own families. They supposed to go to. If that's you know. Well, you see, they use the Christmas period as an it's an opportunistic time because they know that people have a lot of things in the house that are worth stealing. You know. This is it, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. for God's sake, Anna! Listen, give me the details of the GoFundMe. See if we can help. All right. Okay, thanks a million. Happy all right, New Year. mind thanks yourself so and to you too. Happy New Year in spite of all of that. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now on the new number 0818-104-106. Mentioned earlier on this morning, actually, that there was a freedom of information request put into various councils around the country, city and county councils, with questions asked. And the Irish Times carries the story this morning. It's to do with the different complaints that were made to the local authorities last year in relation to what it's like living in certain housing estates, whether they're city or county council. And just a few of the interesting paragraphs uh, that makes the Times this morning include um, people sniffing cocaine from windowsills, open drug dealing, threats of intimidation. These were amongst the complaints made to local authorities last year in relation to antisocial behaviour occurring in council-owned properties all over the state. Uh, Like, for instance, people threatened with knives, golf clubs, steel bats, Hurleys, sticks, according to the complaints, various complaints. I'm just summing them up. Crack cocaine and heroin being sold from the front door of council properties. God knows we spoke with people on air last week where there was open crack and heroin dealing going on where they lived. Um, a request then from various tenants to be transferred out of their home to another place of living because of intimidation, claiming other people in the estate were drug dealers and that the problems had been going on for years and years. Then there were lots of complaints lodged with councils about neighbours who were constantly shouting and arguing 
all night long. Um, people who are living in houses who could hear physical violence outside the house or inside in other houses. Again, as I say, loud music, brawls being made. And of course, over the last year, you'd have had a more and more of that uh, carry on because of an increase in domestic violence and also parting in the home. And then councils were reporting reports of noise, parties, drinking in public, open drug use. Concerns then where people were calling the councils and calling, I guess, Tuzla as well about tenants, children who were described as not being washed, not being fed, never going to school. Uh, They also had uh, 31 different local authorities responding to the Freedom of Information request and much of it, of course, is detailed in the Times this morning. It doesn't specify anything about Cork City or County Councils, but as we know, certainly on this programme over the last couple of years alone, the amount of calls, texts and emails with regards to antisocial behaviour and the problems that that ensues for people who are trying to live their lives quietly. Uh, you can include Cork City and County Council in many of those um, descriptions that I've just given there. Actually, the problem with knives is only getting worse. I don't know how many of you would agree that anybody that's caught with a knife in their possession um, as they're going about their business, whatever that may be, on the streets um, and is brought before the court... I don't think there should be any suspended sentences whatsoever uh, for possession of a knife. Um, I'm not talking about anybody who commits a knife crime because that's worse again. But don't you think that even possession of a knife, I mean, what in the name of God would anybody be walking around with a dangerous knife on them for if it wasn't to do harm? Surely be to God the days of a suspended sentence for that should be gone and that there should be some kind of a judicial sentence, even if it's six weeks or a month in jail or what have you. Anyway, your thoughts on that are welcome. Text 0868104106. But from earlier on this morning, and I've got a lot of texts on this, we have the minimum pricing on alcohol that came in uh, at midnight and it changes everything now with regards to the cost of what you pay for booze. Now that can be uh, hard liquor, whether it's whiskey or gin or vodka or rum or wine or beer, whatever the case may be, it is all gone up. Um, and it's going to cost an awful lot more now, particularly for people who like to buy their beer by the box or by the slab. And I gave you some examples of it there earlier on this morning. Uh, calls, texts and emails on that if you don't mind, guys. Bernadette, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Hi. Uh, and what are, are your you? thoughts on it? Do you think that it's needed? Um, I'm not against anything that looks at an intervention towards um, the problem that we have with alcohol in Ireland. Um, however, I don't think that this minimum pricing by the government on its own is going to at all deal with the reduction in consumption of alcohol. Neil. Why? Um, you think that uh, people will follow the price of it regardless? I, I, I do, based on, on, on looking at um, where we are right now. For example, we're one of the highest consumers of alcohol across the EU. We have the, the highest prices of alcohol already across the EU. That has not stopped people buying it because we need to have a much bigger conversation about our relationship to alcohol in Ireland. Something that we've needed to have for a very, very long time. Yeah, I know you talk about it being one of the highest prices, but when you look at the deals that have been done, say, for instance, in off-licenses, and more relevant, I suppose, would be supermarket deals. It's Mm. very cheap. Beer, for instance, is cheaper than bottled water. Yeah, and I suppose I, I look at that again and I question that, and I'm absolutely aware of that. 
Um, and again, back to anything that deals with the alcohol issue that we have. Not just a business issue. I know publicans have been sort of lobbying, campaigning to, to have this looked at for, for, for years. They're probably you know? happy enough with this, I suppose, publicans. Oh, well, look, I mean, and, and pubs in fairness have suffered a lot during the pandemic and we're not going to have a go with them, you know, this morning on that. However, we have to look at whether initiatives are about health or about business. <laughs> and, you know, I, I suppose I, I, would be, I would be asking that question to, to our politicians this morning. That, you know, if we bring something on parity, are we, are we then, are we going to challenge the whole issue of alcohol? Whether we drink it in the house, or whether we drink it in the home, or in a pub, or, uh, you know, wherever. Um, so we need to be doing this because it's the issues of interventions that we need to be dealing with. I mean, children um, across this country are suffering because adults are drinking in their homes. And this has become even a um, a greater issue during the pandemic because pubs and places have... But, you know, if there is a huge amount of money now to be made because excise is going up and the prices are going up and the government Mm -hmm. makes more out of it, the manufacturer will make more out of it, the off-licenses make more out of it. But that money then that's being made, none of it is going into intervention, none of it is going into treatment, nothing like that. It's not as if that money has been ring-fenced to help people with drink problems. It's not... Well, you actually pick the point, which is actually hugely important, of where the money needs to go. Because if the government is actually really serious in this country of dealing with the alcohol issue, which they talk about targeted public health measures and all of that, then that money would be channeled where it needs to go, which is into intervention. And into intervention services as well that are an offshoot of alcohol issues, mental health services, for example, that are absolutely screaming and struggling for help and for funding at the moment. And we don't see initiatives going there. You know, uh, children's, child development issues, all of those services which are screaming at the moment for help. And we don't see interventions and money being put in there. I was just saying this morning that there are a thousand hospital beds on any day of any week. A thousand Mm -hmm. hospital beds are taken up with drink-related issues regarding health. It's a lot of beds. Um, You know, when you look at people who drink responsibly and... I imagine it would be fair to say that most people do, right? Sure. Um, and and somebody that's on a budget that's like likes to have a couple of drinks at home and mm. drink them responsibly. If they were getting last week twenty four cans of Budweiser, responsible yeah. drinker, they were paying fifteen euro, right? Yeah. Now that same responsible drinker will not be paying fifteen euro. They'll be paying. They'll get twenty cent change yeah. out of forty one euro. That seems very unfair on a responsible drinker. Well, I think that's probably people's <laughs> issue as well, you know. And and to look exactly at who and what you're targeting and why. And that's why I say to you, Neil, that we need to have a much bigger conversation because that drinker is saying, yeah, look, and I mean, this may impact some people's decisions not to drink alcohol. But my concern is for the, the very heavy drinker or the alcohol-dependent drinker. Look, we know with any addiction, and alcohol is an addiction, that people will find money for that addiction because that's where their focus and their energy is. And you is. believe that in, say, a family home with children, food mm. uh, will be sacrificed, um, heating, light will be sacrificed well, too? Well, the, the, it's already being sacrificed in homes across Ireland because of alcohol consumption, because of, you know, d- drug use, etc. Mm. So this it, it will not go in any way to deal with those issues which are the root and the heart of the problem. And until that happens, then I think we're on a hiding to nowhere. 
and the government needs to take this back in again. HSE needs to take this back in again and have a, a look overall. We need we need a, a strategy. We need a national framework looking at the whole issue of alcohol consumption in Ireland. But we need it running alongside, parallel, the services that are needed. I mean, for example, when I go on the HSE website now, they'll talk about alcohol and they talk about this minimum pricing and their reasons for and whatever. But they'll also say, and if you have a problem, go to your GP. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm saying, but the GP is the way to go to get a, no. But the GP would be the way to go to get a referral for help, would it not? It, it, it certainly would. But the biggest problem there at the moment, and you think about when something is introduced, and 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 why dots are not being joined, is that GPs at the moment are not seeing people for routine care. Yeah. Yeah. Because of their, their, they're caught up in, in the whole booster program. Yeah, yeah. So you know, okay. unless we have an initiative there, because you'll have people suddenly. I mean, do you think that somebody is going to be just able to switch off drinking alcohol if they have a major problem? No, but I, no, I, I understand that many will continue to buy, and it, um, and that's that's very sad, and the consequences of that. But I'm just talking about everybody else who enjoy. Yes. I mean, you can't go to the pub anymore, and here we are on the first day of January, yes. as it was at the time, and they're saying, okay, you can't go to the pub, and if you do, you have to be out at eight o'clock, and you have to do all of these different hoops that you have to jump through. Oh, oh, and by the way, it's going to be a lot more expensive now if you like to sup a pint at home or a can of beer yes. or a bottle of beer. Uh, just hold on there if you wish, Michael. Good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Good. Do you want to jump in on this? What side are you well, on with I, regards to this? I, I, I do agree. Well, I, th- I think it's quite disgraceful, actually. And I, I go on another angle, and it's an attack on the poor. It's an attack by the government on poorer and, and sort of low and middle income earners in this country. Because, you know what? This doesn't affect the guy who enjoys, or the, or the couple maybe that enjoy a bottle of Chateau and to pack with their steak on, 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 on a Saturday night, or maybe a nice bottle of Chateau. Are with their roasted haunch of venison on a Sunday. It's going to have zero effect there because that's going to be the same price. What it does affect is the couples or the families. Like the fella buy. that goes to Tesco for a slab of 24 cans of Guinness. That used to yeah. be 18 euro. Yeah, it's, that's it's, now it's, it's 40 going, euro. Exactly. It's it's doubling the price for, for the ordinary lower income person yeah. or a poor person. It's actually doubling the price. They might enjoy, they might enjoy a few cans of pesky, for example, with their fish and chips on the Friday night. Correct. I mean, if you're looking at Jameson whiskey, for instance, or a bottle of gin, it yeah. goes from, um, I don't know. 20, 29 to 22 for the one bottle of rum that Tesco were selling there, you know. So it, it kind of doubles. Doubled, the price. yeah. And, yeah. And, but even away from the first, there's nothing wrong with the guy having a couple of cans of pesky with his fish and chips on the Friday night, you know. So why not? But for that person, no, he has to pay double or she has to pay double the price for that bit of enjoyment it's an absolute disgrace and they're quote, but it has to do with our relationship with alcohol Michael yes it, 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 there's, there's a problem with that and the problem will still exist and that, that will again unfortunately attack it's another attack on the poor and the people on low income because they still want their couple of cans they now have to pay double for it um, what's probably going to happen is they're going to cut back on other essentials like food you know Scotland introduced uh, minimum pricing rules in May 2018 and, and they quote a bit of success there a small reduction in alcohol Scotland remember their minimum pricing rule, rule is 50 pence per 10 grams of alcohol we are a euro per I 10 know. grams of alcohol but he, like, Sorry, can we look at a comparable um, probably was say for instance the smoking ban or the continual increase in the price of a packet of fags Didn't, hasn't that deterred people from smoking more and more Absolutely. So will not the well, same happen, and less people will 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 have uh, alcohol addiction issues, and they'll be happier homes. 
I don't think so. I think I think there's going to be unforeseen consequences here, um, not well thought out at all, because it's going to put more people who drink. People who drink problem drinkers will continue to drink the same amount. Only they'll have to pay twice as much for it, which will have knock-on effects. Younger people, it's not cool to drink for a lot of younger people anyway. They'll turn to MDMA and ecstasy, and maybe that'll send them on the road towards harder class A drugs. Unfortunately, and oh, we'll I see the point you're making. And, yeah, and, and the, the evidence for that is already there in Scotland where crime has increased and, and drug use certainly there was a bit, a bit of a problem with heroin in Edinburgh and Glasgow and that that has got worse because it's that like the one say, I, as I say their minimum price is only half or minimum price and it still caused those unforeseen problems uh, the measures aren't going to you know another effect is going to have again unforeseen or maybe this is more foreseen the same measures will not take effect in Northern Ireland until at least 2023 in fact yeah. the government up there the devolved government is in they have no rush to bring in even in 2023 they okay. might not bring in, in at all and okay. when they see the revenue they're going to get from the lorry loads and van loads that are going to be bought now in Norway and in the skilling place like that to drive back down south it's got to fuel smuggling you know I mean guys going over to France for the highest van if these things still exist fill it up with boxes of wine in the supermarket in Calais or something and or yeah, you know the have and come back in through Rasslerlick and it's going to fuse all the, the figures will probably, they'll probably self-congratulate in 12 months and they say oh yeah alcohol consumption has gone down but that'll be false because it'll have went down because it won't be bought in this state mm. it'll be bought in Northern Ireland it'll be bought in France and alcohol consumption might indeed go up you don't know because people will have to it's, it's more convenient to transport crates of vodka rather than crates of uh, lager, you know. I got gotcha. um, you. You would sum it up then by saying that it will only impact, by and large, the common man, not it'll those. It only have, impact. Yeah. It'll only impact the poorer parts of society. Okay. It'll only okay. impact low and income low and middle income earners. It won't impact the guys who are making these rules, right? have expense accounts where they're probably charging their chateau and the pap and their tattinger and their moish and then to the taxpayer anyway you know so it really won't affect those guys you know good points well made thank and, you both you thank know, you Michael and, thank you Bernadette lines open one eight fifty one oh. sorry my apologies 086 8104 it's even going to take me some time to get used to the new number and you can text 086 8104 Sophie says I think this is a completely stupid idea we're going to end up with children who are already going without food because of alcohol addiction, to complete devastation now in some homes. Why does this government think that by increasing prices that it can fix problems, when in actual fact it only will create more problems? 60% of our population are working for the minimum wage and are living week to week, pay packet to pay packet. But yet the increase on basic essentials, electricity, fuel, etc., are crippling us already. Unfortunately, addiction can't be fixed by putting a price tag on it. We're probably going to see an increase in domestic abuse and crime. That's an excellent text. Thank you for it, Sophie. It's actually quite interesting because she also touched on a point there where people working, say, for instance, on the minimum wage, many living week to week, and also finding that many essentials have gone up in price, including electricity and fuel, just to turn on your lights or to heat your house. But did the government ever, in spite of 30 increases to fuel prices last year, did the government ever once even consider reducing the VAT, for instance, on electricity, home heating, oil and gas? No. Did they think for one moment that it might be a good idea to help people? Yeah, they decided they'd give a hundred euro off your next bill and that's it. Just a sop, really. No more than that. Anyway, text 0868104106. Let me get stay with the phone lines if you don't mind. PJ, good morning. Good morning, Neil. What are your thoughts on all of this? Will it make a difference? Uh, first of all, let me wish you a happy new year. Happy new year, year to you as well, pal. Uh, Thank you. 
um, asked, I agree wholeheartedly with, with Michael there. It, it's an attack on uh, it's an attack on on people like his uh, like on a Friday night. Myself and the missus would sit down and I'd have six or eight cans, maybe ten. You know, just taking just taking that away from me now. Price of fuel has gone up. I live in Yall. We travel into the city for work. I do that three, four nights a week. Uh, the buses are out of action now, so chickens in the collection and bring, brings me back out. Where is this government going to stop? Everything is cost night. Uh, the law, the law is now that any bottle of wine cannot be sold for less than seven euro forty. Um, trying to hear these guys. That's, that's still that's Was still that okay? that's still not a lot of money for a bottle of wine, you know. Hold on one second there. Let me just try and get uh, my lines organized. Come back to you after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Sorry, PJ, I've cleaned that up now. You were talking about it not making a blind bit of difference. Yeah, well, well it won't make a blind bit of difference to me. It, it, I just find it difficult to understand why it's being done, why the... I know there's a lot of hospital beds and that being taken up with, with um, alcohol-related problems. And also because problem. supermarkets have been selling it way too cheaply. And it was introducing a younger generation to alcohol because they could afford it. Yeah, but better police. I mean, I, I worked in the security industry. Um, I still do, but I worked in retail. And... Um, if these places were being better looked after, I suppose. Ah, yeah, but you can still get, you can get adults to buy it for kids. Oh, you, you can. get a 20-year-old to yeah. buy it for a 15-year-old. You know, the, the other aspect of it then is you're going to have youngsters going in um, stealing the alcohol now because it'd be too expensive to, it'd be it's too expensive to buy. So you don't, you don't believe, say, for instance, the mantra that if you increase the price of it, it will make it less attractive. Um, because at the moment now it's costing over 3 billion a year uh, with regards to healthcare costs associated with problem drinkers, three billion. Three billion. Yeah. Yeah, but you see, as you've touched that lady touched on it there with the 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 email or the text message you got there, none of that money is actually going to be put back into those services. No, I, I I'm talking about hospital beds, not say for instance oh, intervention sorry, with beds. regards to uh, going into treatment, like. What I also wanted to mention, without wanting to hog the conversation, is the younger generations now are no longer drinking bottled beer or cans of beer or pints. They're drinking gin, they're drinking vodka, they're drinking whiskey, and they're drinking shots. Um, And they're they're destroying their livers and their brains from it. We have to call a halt to this, surely be to God. Yeah, but it's taxing the ordinary man out of there. Is that the right thing to be doing? The ordinary man that writes it. Well, who's got a better solution? What is the better solution? I mean, alcoholism and... I mean, we all done. We, we all went drinking up the field when we were younger and that, you know, and... It probably I was mean, bottles of cider or beer, though, you know? It, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, open the price is not going to stop it. I can't see it. I can't see it working. The only thing it will lead on to is great, greater problems. You know, if you have a home where probably mum and dad are drinking too much and possibly putting the price of beer, we say like a 12 pack of cheap lager. Into the trolley first. Into the trolley first. Well then, the 12 pack of lager is still going to go in there. Yeah. I lived, I lived, I lived with, um, I, I lived with drinking one time, not myself, but I lived with a friend of mine 
it was a very bad case with it. Thankfully, one day he just woke up and he said, that's it. Thankfully. But that went before anything. His his drink went before anything. That was before food, food on the table or an ESP bill paid. Hygiene, clothes, anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, drinking his, his drink was in first. It's only going to add to problems. Like I said, it's going to add to more more teeth and out of supermarkets and stuff like that as well. Plus, it's going to drive the black market as well. Good points, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, uh, you're going to you're going to have the booze cruises. You're going to have to run. They're actually trying to stop people now crossing the border into Newry. This government, they were saying that they wanted Northern Ireland to bring in the same rules as what we have down here. You you think so that um, some people, regardless of the price, will follow it, and if there are children in the home, they will either get less food or crappy or cheaper food that's bad for their development. More, more than more than likely, less food. Okay, okay. There, there okay. really there really isn't an answer to it. Need there's been alcoholism has been around since Adam was a little boy, yeah. and it'll be around when Adam's a very old man as well. But is it not, is is not it, would it be deemed as a luxury item, so therefore should have a luxury price? Well, yeah, good question, but I suppose, no, it shouldn't be deemed as a luxury item. Okay. okay. For, for us, we have a couple of drinks on a Friday night, we're busy, we work hard all during the week, we have a couple of beers on a Friday night, maybe the odd Friday night, you'll probably overdo it a little bit, but you get up Saturday morning, suffer with a headache, and you're back yeah. to work on Sunday. And you learn nothing from that. You do the same thing the next <laughs> week. <laughs> Neil, I've been, I've been doing that for the last 57 years. It gets harder, pal, as you get older. That's the thing. Uh, good points. Thanks, PJ. Appreciate you making them. Have a good yeah, day. A happy speaking, New Year to you. Yeah, Take care. Yeah, Some texts on this. So Sheen says, does that money then go to the publicans? that are hurting after years of being kicked to the curb. Well, that money doesn't directly, but I suppose indirectly it might uh, in, you know, encourage people to go back to the pubs as opposed to visiting the off-licence. I don't know. Um, another one or two. Welcome to Rip Off Ireland. Highest tax, highest tolls, highest insurance, highest cigarette price, highest bank repayments, and now the highest drink. Great lot we have running the place, says Sean. Um, 7.40 for a bottle of wine. I think people will go back to Pochine, says Maria. I, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, uh, I imagine it probably isn't the best wine in the world at €7.40. You know, it's probably not the greatest wine to be drinking anyway. Uh, but a starting price at seven forty, you know, it doesn't seem all that expensive to me, but maybe the quality of the wine wouldn't be the best. John says, uh, more government overreach, more abusing people with substance issues and calling it health care. The reality is that those who have alcohol issues are going to buy it anyway, and many will use money they need for other things for alcohol, or they'll simply buy cheap hooch. Others are suggesting that people will go back to brewing their own, and that's only one step away from Pochin. Um, one or two more. What a load of bull. It's just another way of conning people out of more money. Uh, what they should be doing is putting a maximum price on it to stop off-licenses ripping people off. Alcohol is costing society 3.2 billion. How many billions are they making out of alcohol? That number you will never be told by Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. They need to be gone. And Mary says, I think it'll make no difference if someone wants to drink. They don't mind what they pay for it. It'll be exactly like cigarettes. They went up in price. People still smoke. There's a lot of people addicted to alcohol. They can't help it. So the price will make no difference. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Neil's got a new number. Call him now on 0818104106. 
And text 0868104106. Wayne says, what's going to happen now is people will start looting and shoplifting for drink. The cost of living is very expensive. It's just more greed, putting people in more debt and more financial problems, along with way more suicide risk. Uh, another texter says, it'll be the same as the plastic bag tax. What was that money being used for? As far as I know, one large retailer hasn't paid the bag tax um, and never did. Uh, Graham says, punishing working class families who like a few cans at home or a bottle of wine on a Saturday night because it's too expensive to go to the pub. That's all this is. This government hates the working class. They expect them to carry the burden for everything in this country. They'd be better off spending the money on education and better treatment facilities to help people cope with their addictions properly. Have a radical discussion in schools about the effect alcohol can impact on people's lives and yet let young people decide for themselves to be responsible drinkers or not. Anything but let's just put the price up and hope it solves the problem. This country is a disgrace and those in charge haven't got a clue. Thank you for those texts. Keep them coming. Uh, Anthony's standing by. Jim is standing by. First up, Linda, good morning. Morning. Hi. And your thoughts on this? Um, I think the government are coming at it from looking at Scotland after doing it because in Scotland they did it and it fell the alcohol sales fell by 7.7% so you know that's positive but with the Scotland's um, review you, it's very hard to differentiate if it's targeting the heavy drinkers like they want to target or just low income families and like with Ireland already having the highest like the higher average than the EU with price of alcohol it's just going to push people more into the black market yeah. and into illegal substances. And it also really won't impact high earners at all. Yeah, exactly. Because you know? they won't be going for that cheap beer anyway. They're going for the more expensive, more acquired to their taste drinks. So it's literally just targeting the lower income, which will cause them to have a lower um, quality of life. And it's just the fact that it's so regressive in the way it is. I just think it's quite disgusting, really. That's the point. That's the point I'm making. That in in many of the examples I gave this morning, when it came to say wine, for instance, or you know the the smaller bottles of gin, you know, Gordon's bottle of seventy cl gin was eighteen euro. Now it goes to twenty euro seventy. Not a huge impact there, really, to be honest. So sure, there's not like, for instance, the Jameson seventy cl was fifteen euro. Now twenty two euro. If you want to buy a bottle of Jameson, you probably would shell out the seven for the bottle of whiskey. But it's beer, really, is the big is the big big difference because that was the almost the lost leader for the supermarkets all along. Would you agree with me there? Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah. Because with gin, it's only a few euro. Yes, and you know you can do without a little thing to get that extra bottle of gin or whatever. But with beer, it's, it's disgusting. Like it's astronomical. The price is going up. Uh, do you drink yourself? Um, I do drink, but I don't drink much. Like I'll drink on occasions. And, drank a Christmas, drank for the darts last night, but yeah. like I wouldn't really drink much. No. And would you be I, a I home drink drinker beer. or was, would you, do you prefer being in a pub setting? Um, I like home drinking really, like, you know, like small little get-togethers and stuff. I just find the pub too expensive anyway. Because I've been thinking about the, over the Christmas, just chatting with different people, because somebody asked me, do you think that, you know, because of the eight o'clock closing and all of the times that the pubs were closed and restricted and tables and stuff, that many people just won't go back to the pub at all now? They've got a new way of life, you know? Yeah, they've gotten used to being inside now, I think. But then some people will be different and they're like, can't wait to get back out to normal life. And do you think that might be a different generation? Would that be an older person, for instance? You know, like, will the 20-somethings 
ever go back to pubs if they ever went at all or will they stay with the home drinking? Um, I think if they have a good group around them they'll stay with the home drinking because you know you can pick your own music it's it's cheaper yeah. but it should be cheaper anyway. Yeah. I mean, It'll still even be cheaper than say a five or a pint or eight or nine euro for a gin and tonic. Still cheaper yeah. at home. Yeah, massively. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Happy New Year to you, Linda. Thanks for taking the call. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jim, good morning. Sorry, he's on one. Apologies. Jim, can you hear me now? Yeah, go ahead, Neil. Okay. Uh, what's on your mind? Thanks for the text. Uh, you think that there should be other things should be sorted out first, is it? Oh, they should. In, in the country, certainly. I just want you know, they know have the schools got all the ventilation sorted out before the kids go back in two days' if time. If they go back in two days' time. Well, I mean, at the moment, they are going back, but uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't. But do you not? Do you really believe that? You don't think that there's any tr- any kind of it holds any water that maybe if they just kept them out for January, we got over January, which is the peak of all of this. Send them back no, in February. Not at all. So they're still going to get Omicron in, in in February. Yes, I told you everyone is going to get the thing. You saw what happened over Christmas. Is after going mega around the country. Yeah, but it so won't be that way in a month's time. That's all I'm saying. But you, who's, would you believe that? I do believe it. I do. I have to believe it. I have to try and stay positive. I do. But you want we take we take we take your theory right, and then we take their theory that everybody they're going to go back in February. Everything is fine. People get COVID the second time around. So in uh, March, April, we should be back at the same setup again. And we're going to be taken over again. Or people get the second dose. Omicron is weak. I know. I know for underlying conditions and etc. I understand all of that. But by and large, for the general population. I'd say there's a lot of people walking around with it, they don't even know it, and they never took an antigen, right. and they probably have it. That's right, that's right. That's it. I mean, we are, so we are, so that, won't we that make it a flu, or won't that make it a light flu or a head cold? And, and it's the one that your kids should be getting, uh, and it's the one that everyone should be getting. You know, this idea of locking us up, is crazy. If you take just what you said, if it's that light, and, you know, everybody can get it, and we get our dose of uh, COVID, that's the one to get. I mean, I'd hate to see someone getting... Delta yeah. or, or or the first one, you know, Alpha. Yeah. Uh, why not get Omicron? And why why lock everybody up now? And then what happens if a better one comes out in two months' time and everybody gets very very sick? Well, you got so the Pfizer. Open. You got the Pfizer pill on the way now. That's got to be good. Well, I mean, assuming the people yeah. want to take it, that is. Well, they want to take it. I mean, we we're, 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 we've started injecting the two uh, the five year olds to, to twelve year olds, and we we've done that without debate. There has been no parents asked to sit down in a room and, and say, is this good or, you know, for the kids? And remember, they don't need it. Yeah. But they're all going back to school now and they'll be falling into place. They'll give them all that nice little comic that the HSE has printed for the uh, for the kids to sweeten them. There is Take such a, a thing, is there? A new comic? Oh, there's a comic out for the kids. They'll, they'll get a comic now when they get injected to tell them how safe it is and good it is. And, and they don't need it, you know. And give you the stats, need. Like, one in 16,000... And this is the HSE stats, it's up on their webpage, right? Just go into the link, anyone can read this. One in 16,000 boys in country between the ages of 12 and 18 uh, developed heart conditions after taking the injection. Well, so, no, no, so that's a lot, right? Now, if we take the same number... Well, I'll have to fact-check that. I'm assuming you're giving me a correct stat there. It's on the email, it's yeah. on the link. I gave it to there, you have it, right? And if we take the same stat, Neil, right, for the 220,000 or 200,000 our children that we're going to inject... 13 of them will develop life-changing heart conditions or maybe death. 
You see, the, Aust- the Australians now have launched um, uh, an initiative to pay people compensation. Did you see that over the last day or two? And they give a list of conditions that you may have suffered after uh, vaccination where you can claim money off the state. Well, they're doing that here as well. The redress board has been set up. Yeah, but they're actually inviting people now to lodge compensation claims in Australia. Yeah, yeah, and it's going to come here as well. People are going to do it. And once mm. that happens, once they start claiming off the state, this whole programme will shut down. All right, OK. Like we've lost so much time in it, and we've, we've lost so many people because we spent, we've injected people that didn't need it. And it's crazy, crazy setup. Well, you know, you can equally say that the vaccine saved an awful lot of lives. I, I'm not saying that, and I'm saying that it has worked for some people and it hasn't worked for others. Let me get one more call on this side of 11. Thank you so much, Jim. Happy New Year to you as always. Margaret, good morning. Uh, good morning. Just on the d- different uh, price increases now that we've been talking about this morning. You're a non-drinker, so your take on it is important. Go ahead. Um, I'm, I'm just incensed at the fact that they, they're they dictating how adults live their lives. Um, it's, it's, this nanny state business is just gone beyond a joke. I don't understand why people aren't up in arms about this. Mm. What good would that do? Uh, very little from what I can see. But, I, you know, there has to be... What really bothers me about it is that the likes of your pensioner, and I'm not a pensioner, um, who is, you know, the the little pleasures that they have in life and they're living on 208 euro a week. Um, you know, these price increases are going to really, really affect them and I'm wondering about the um, price of alcohol in the drawer they're subsidised alcohol what's happening there with that? Is the bar I know the food is subsidised there but if they cheaper booze in the bar no, in the drawer I can't say Neil that I've researched this I'll, I'll, I'll I, check it you could well I'm be right sure. I'm not sure but you don't think that typically one uh, euro seventy for a can of stout or a can of lager you think you don't? You th- do you believe that's too dear? Um, I suppose when you push it like that, I'm, I'm just thinking of the price increase for those. I'm not talking about people who are sitting on their ass, couldn't be bothered going out to work, um, claiming social welfare. I'm talking about the people that are on social welfare, um, through no fault of their own, the older people, etc., etc., um, the people we'd say who are isolated out in the country that are old because of the fact that they can't go to the pub. No, I, and, and, I, and I understand those. Know? I understand those examples. Uh, I don't know how much sympathy somebody would have for somebody who's on welfare who could work and won't work and buy slab after slab and spends the whole day going on the cans. That soldier, I agree with them, but. It it just seems to me the gap is getting bigger and bigger. And I will tell you, I am on um, social welfare, but because I have a, a very serious illness. You don't have to defend I'm, your reasons I'm for being on, on payment. Yeah, yeah. And I was horrified when they decided that a living wage for someone who was out of work was 200, at the least 250 euro. Um, but the living wage for somebody who, through no fault of their own, is on a social welfare payment is 208. That's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the gap is getting wider and wider and wider. And yeah. the people who have money, this isn't going to affect them in the slightest. You know, I just, look, if, if they're going to make it legal or if they're going to allow it to be sold 
and they're going to take the taxes that they take from it, then who are they to be telling anybody how much they can drink? Yeah, added to the fact that none of the increased taxation goes to anything worthwhile at all. I mean, my understanding is they, for instance, the manufacturer benefits, the seller benefits and the state Mm -hmm. benefits. Clearly, the drinker doesn't and the problem drinker doesn't either. No, yeah. and I don't look, a problem drinker is going to get drink above, uh, that, like, I um, have experience of um, being in a family where there was alcoholism, and I will tell you, they will do anything to get drink. So to an alcoholic or somebody who has a problem with drink, they never worried about the cost of it? It's not that they're not worried about the cost of it, but they will put aside other things like food yes. and their family's welfare. Yes, yes. For alcohol. Okay. And alcohol, uh, alcoholism is an illness. Thank you for that. Much obliged, Margaret. We'll pick it up after 11. Text 0868104106. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. New year, new number for Neil. 0818-104-106. And you can text 0868-104-106 and people are allowed to get through between now and uh, midday today. We're covering a lot of different stories. You know, you talk about issues um, and, uh, you know, supermarkets, say, for instance, and to an extent as well, off-licenses being able to sell, uh, particularly supermarkets, you know, because the whole model of supermarket shopping has changed so much now. And that's why you have uh, supermarkets up until now selling 12s and 20s and 24s fours, uh, you know, with regards to cans or primarily cans, I think, uh, for likes of 19 and 20 euro, that will now go to go to 40 euro when you buy in bulk like that. Uh, but you also wonder about, you know, other things that, that supermarkets now sell. I mean, Lidl, for instance, over the weekend now we're selling ski jackets, for instance, for 14 euro, uh, not 40. Now, I didn't say 40. I said 14 euro. And that's great for the consumer. It really and truly is. But you got to wonder with their with their massive buying power, you know, and and we've all seen it because supermarkets do so much more now, and it's very handy for somebody to be able to go into a big mall or a big supermarket and do a lot more than say a food shop. I understand all of that, and I know it's capitalism and it's it's consumerism. But how in the name of God will small businesses be ever to be able to compete? with some of the prices that you see these days. Uh, and is that why we're seeing more and more smaller shops going to the wall uh, and uh, um, as a consequence of the bigger businesses? Maybe that's just normal. Maybe that's just the way society works. Anyway, your thoughts on that are welcome. Text 0868-104-106. But not everybody thinks that want and need is going uh, in the right direction. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this out, but let me just give a caveat to it or, or just ahead a of the ahead of the text, sometimes people generalize and it's unfortunate that people do because we don't know the circumstances of anybody who needs help or assistance. But somebody who always would have given to charities in the past got in touch with me to say, I'm absolutely done with giving donations to particular charities and saw this over the Christmas period alone. There are people looking for assistance with bills and food hampers who should in no way in the world be getting them. It's just turned into a racket and it's a disgrace. There were social houses near me given out recently and the amount of non-nationals who got houses is unbelievable. Their houses were festooned all over Christmas with Christmas lights inside and out and yet you can be sure they'll be looking to get their electricity bills paid in the new year. I know of two different households who had good businesses of their own and they've got houses. How can this be? 
if they're running their own businesses. It's no wonder there's a housing shortage in this country because they're giving out houses to many people coming in from overseas. This is not a gripe with non-nationals. It's a gripe of the absolute abuse of anything that is given out for free, being given to people who should not be getting anything. Um, can't go on air. Hope you get to read this out because it makes me so mad. And that by text to 0868104106. Just on my chat earlier with uh, Jim O'Hearn and uh, some topics that he mentioned, John just wanted to pick up on one or two of those. Uh, John, good morning. This wasn't alcohol related. I think it had more to do with um, Omicron and uh, the pandemic we're in. Am I right? Morning. Yes, good morning. What point uh, did you want to pick up? Was it the redress this, this, scheme? Yes, this was about uh, Willie O'Dea actually put the government on notice that they should uh, get there uh, before the fact other than after the fact. And and uh, when it was put to the Taoiseach, uh, but would there be a new board set up for to handle it? His answer was that there's a, a board in place that was uh, being used for the cervical cancer and that that would be sufficient because the paperwork... Now, what we're referring to is paperwork to do with um, a fast-track compensation scheme for a minority of people who suffer yeah, damage yeah. to their health because of the vaccine. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Now, the thing about it is like, his, his response was, that, like, I'm not quoting him now, but basically what it was was that uh, the paperwork would be too tedious to be setting up a new one. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll go with what we have. But are, are, but are people okay with the redress scheme to pay compensation to people who have been hurt by the vaccine? I imagine they probably should be okay with it. Am I right? Well, let me put it to you like this. I hope they're, I hope they're reporting it to their doctor uh, uh, by, by email and in a hard copy because they'll be taught later when it comes up that you never reported it so you don't qualify. But <clears throat> is it fair to say that this will be the next compensation payout by the state, vaccine oh, redress. Oh, 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 absolutely, along okay. the lines of the swine flu uh, injection. Okay, okay. Absolutely. You know, we had a conversation. Before Have they set like, aside any kind of a, any kind of a compensation oh, oh, no, fund? No, oh, no, 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 no. So listen, uh, which was we, the way the country has been run, that will be left run on, on, uh, it ends up in, uh, in court cases uh, against the state. Mm. And uh, we had this conversation a long time ago, and I said, and I said to you at the time, I said, I hope to God that this don't go wrong. Mm. But apparently, uh, apparently it is. Now, the other problem that's that's out there is that mandating an experimental drug is actually a criminal act, and there will be responsibility uh, to be the people will be held responsibility that are pushing us. And th- and this will all. But who will those be? I mean, there, there were there were clinical trials. And well, hold, be on a while, hold on a while now. There's evidence coming out in the states every day, in the states every day, that the FDA in the states are negligent with the, with the trials that were done, that uh, omissions were made, uh, that are, uh, will be hitting uh, court dates in the states. Mm. And I'm sure it will be all across the across the land uh, everywhere mm. the, 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 like the, the trials the, the trials haven't uh, been given the truth didn't come out about the trials that were, that were uh, held well and basically let's, that, and basically let's that, watch this space on that one then oh listen we, we're we after opening Pandora's box now you know like and the thing about us now uh, we now have a problem that they're going to put uh, uh, a, a drug into kids that is showing problems uh, and 
I don't think that well I never thought any that one one drug was going to uh, fix everybody because when you went to your doctor you were prescribed something for your particular case and he didn't give you something because it was good for the fellas next year in the waiting room yeah, yeah. and now they want to inject it into kids and we have no answers on it so far and we're not getting any answers so far either you don't and think this is, the, this is the problem you don't think it was needed and it was needed fast to get ahead of it and that it did save many, many lives? It saved people with underlying conditions, Neil. Yeah. And it, well, it, it, saved, it saved some of them. But like, it, because you have a health problem, that doesn't mean that I should uh, be injected with something or be forced to be on my, well, my life cut That has been the big divisive issue really over the past yeah. two years. And more so now than ever as we head yeah. into another year. And the economic consequences of this continuing. Well, so listen... This, this, Suicides are up. Yeah, but like, what, yeah, but now we're seeing in the last few days, and again, okay, I'm going back to hospitality, but they've been hardest hits. Hit. There's been a, a ream of pubs and restaurants that have just decided to stay closed for January, and they don't yes, even know what they're going to do in February. Yes, but the only one that are suffering in that scenario are the staff. The people who own the business are being compensated by the government. Um, yeah, but look at the amount of money it's costing the government and therefore costing the taxpayer to be compensating cost- the business. It's costing the government nothing. It's costing you and me. The, well, that's, costing, well, 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 that's my point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we, some, we some are saying that all the summer saying there was a there was um there was a scientist actually out of the East Anglia University that I read. Uh, over the Christmas, who said that we need to put a date in our calendars and that that date should be Easter, where all isolation is stopped. Every every single um, regulation and guideline should be stopped at Easter time because at that stage, COVID will be the common cold. Yeah, I mean, is yeah, that well, optimistic, do you think? Well, I don't see why not. Let, let, let's, look, let's look positive at the thing. We have a problem that when it came out in South Africa and which was reported, the Omicron, and uh, South Africans have said it wasn't as bad as uh, everybody thought it was going to be, and it was no more than a headache and a sore throat and maybe a bit of a, a, a bit of a flu. And it seems and to be, and that seems to be the case. Yes, but why did why did why did our country uh, go down into a lockdown again? And people's liberties being uh, listen, those human rights uh, cases going to be brought against this government. Okay, um, as always. They've made a a complete and utter mess of the whole thing. Yes, but you see, that would be all very well if it was just Ireland behaving in a mess. But it's not. It's many countries around the world, very same as us, doing the very same thing. Yeah, but but there's a a knee-jerk reaction across the board. They're all watching one another to see what the people will buy and what they'll put up with. How do, you, how do you, I mean, compare it to our closest neighbour, I'm not talking about Wales or Scotland now, but certainly in the UK, they've kind of had a different approach to us in the recent weeks, haven't they? They're just saying, okay, just calm the waters here, carry on as you are. Yeah. They didn't reintroduce restrictions. They just said, okay. Yeah, would uh, would that have, be proved right? Yeah, but you hold on a while. We have governments that are taking advice from pharmaceutical companies. One pharmaceutical company alone to, to this has made 10 billion uh, out of us. You telling me that wouldn't be a vested interest? Well, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. As yeah, always, on, thanks no. for your contribution, John. Take care. Much okay. obliged as always. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four. I've done it again. Mine's open on oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six. I need to get that implanted into my brain. And you can text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. You come across bizarre stories in this program. God knows there's a week go by that you don't 
Here's another one of them. It can't but make me smile, but I'm sure it's very frustrating for the household involved in it. To tell us the entire story, Karen, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Happy New Year to you. And you, happy New Year to you as well. Firstly, um, you have mice. I'll come back to that in a few <laughs> minutes' time. But just start the story. Your dad's 79. He's fine, fit and well, but has hearing aids, right? Yeah. And at night, of course, he doesn't sleep with them in. Yeah, exactly. He takes them out every night. Where does he put them? Up on top of his iPad inside the dining room. So he takes them out, puts them on the iPad, goes to bed, gets up the following morning and puts them back in again. Okay. And and, and all of that changed, apparently. One morning he came down and what did he find? The two of his hearing aids were not on top of the iPad where he'd left them the night before. (laughs) Okay. So... Obviously, he was like, okay, what did I do with these? They're in the same place all the time. So he kept going back and forth and he was checking with my mom and there was no sign of the hearing aid. And you were all probably saying to him, you put them somewhere else. It's your own fault. You can't remember where you left them. Yeah, but I think he knows himself. He says, no, I put them in the same spot every night. That's where they are. Anyway. And he's searching the ground and under the sofa (laughs) and all sorts of places. Everything and anything and no sign of them. So he had a spare one spare one. So he put that in and that got him through kind of the few days over Christmas and stuff. Yeah. So he rang me on New Year's Day and he said, you're not going to believe this story now, only that it happened to me. So I was like, okay, come on. (laughs) So he went to bed New Year's Eve after midnight, put the one hearing aid on top of the iPad and went to bed. (laughs) Got up the following morning, the one hearing aid is not on top of the iPad and there's no sign of the hearing aid. That's the third one gone. Third one, yeah. <laughs> it, off the same spot, in, down the end of the kitchen. You need to get yeah. a CCTV camera or something yeah. in that room. <laughs> so then he said he was sitting down and he was I like... I saw a mouse. Thinking, where he didn't even, see, he didn't even see a mouse. He just thought in his head, who could have moved them? I'd never have a mouse. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So he went up to the kitchen... He went under, pulled out the dishwasher <laughs> with the flash lamp, nothing under the dishwasher, pulled out the fridge freezer and kind of couldn't see much. Put the, the torch, torch from the phone, is it? <laughs> I don't know what, what it was, but anyway, he's down in his hands and knees of the fridge and in the very corner of the back of the fridge, there's the three hearing aids <laughs> with the wires chewed off. Oh, no. So the, most the three of them all together in a little pile, is in it? In the little pile and the wires chewed off them. Oh my God. Yeah. Mouse. Yeah. It's a mouse. A mouse. <laughs> so then I w- we were like, oh, my mum won't sleep tonight, no. So he managed to get them out, did he? Yeah. yeah. Are they tiny? Because they're very small now. Imagine, like, a, a, you know, the big chunky ones, a mouse wouldn't be able to pull that, I suppose. They're not the teeniest of little ones I've seen, like. So he must have went back and forth and back and forth until he was happy with his three in the fight. <laughs> oh my, it's not a mouse that's hard of hearing, like it's just a mouse that wants to have a chew. Yes, exactly, yeah. All right, so, so what happened? He must have been relieved then in one way that he wasn't losing his mind. Absolutely, and the hearing aids cost a fortune. So How he much? was like, okay, I think he said there's something like 4,000. Oh, a pair. For the pair, yeah. Mother of God, well, anyway, they're, they're expensive. <laughs> so, so then, they're not working though. No, so he decided yesterday morning to get up and get on the bus and go into Hidden Hearing. 
Oh, there's more to this story. Yes, he gets on the bus with his three dodgy hearing aids. Three hearing aids inside in a box. And when he gets into town, hidden hearing is closed, which obviously, bank holiday and stuff like that. So he goes for a walk around, gets on the bus and comes home. And when he comes home, he has no hearing aids. Oh, my God, there wasn't a mouse in his pocket. No, what the hell happened to them? (laughs) He lost them. (laughs) (laughs) So they fell out of his pocket between Ballyfehan town, town to Ballyfehan. So now the three hearing aids that he found that the mouse has stolen, he lost them again out of his pocket. (laughs) He must have been mortified. Oh, my God, we're like, it would only happen to him. (laughs) He must be tearing his ears off, is he? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> well, he can't hear my mum in the kitchen, and he can't hear the telly. Oh, so my God. I don't know if he can hear you at the moment. Picture no sound. Oh, yeah. Bit of peace and quiet. So, so we're, just, we're just hoping, really, you know, somebody might have found a little box hidden hearing, and it means nothing to them, you know. But if, if someone can hand him back in, otherwise he's going to have to buy new ones. So what was this track like? It was a bus journey, was it? Yeah. I don't know, to be honest, Neil. He got on the bus in Ballyfehan. I would assume he would have got out somewhere maybe on the South Mall if he was heading to hit Hidden Hearing which I think is in Marlborough Street Yeah. Um, so that was basically it and then he would have just discovered it was closed and walked back and got on the bus So Balfihan to the Mall Mall to is, it, is that like Pembroke Street or something or Princess Street I don't Street? know it's in Marlborough Street Marlborough Street sure. okay Hidden Hearing and then, anyway. and then from there back again to the Mall to the bus to Balfihan so it just fell out is yeah. it a big box <laughs> no it's not a box Small box. What colour is the, the box, words, you know? Uh, I think it's dark. I think it's maybe black, but hidden hearing is wrote on it anyway. So what, like, what happened? Thing. It's a long shot, but let's, let's, and hopefully somebody's found them. But if they haven't, what's he going to do? It's four grand. Like, yeah, uh, can you get those yeah. on a medical card or how does it work? Do you get any state help? No, as far as I know, no, he's aren't covered on his medical. Yeah, he definitely had paid for them anyway, because I'd asked him were they insured. And I think to insure them in the house insurance is something like 300 a year. So he said, you know, to hell with that. Like, what are the like, chances? Yeah, he thought what are the not a risk are, worth taking. Yeah. Well, what yeah. the So heck? we're just hoping someone yeah. might have found them. And what's, and the st- what's the story with the mouse, though? What are you going to do about the mouse? Maybe he the mouse now will turn his or her attention to earrings, jewellery, rings or something. Everything now is being hidden in the house, I'd say, at the moment, away from the mouse, because the trap is going off, and then when he checks the trap, the mouse is gone. So the mouse is getting caught <laughs> in the trap. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, it's an entertaining story on the one hand. Don't get me wrong. But we need to yeah, see if anybody came. So there's three hearing aids with chewed up cable, little tiny wires, I suppose, inside in a hidden hearing box somewhere between Balafihan and the Mal. Yeah. Something and if like that, yeah. Anybody's come across them. Get in yeah, touch. we really no, it'd be brilliant if we got him back. It was just, you know, I suppose when he told me the story, the first thing came into my head, I said, Dad, no one would believe that story. And I said, Yeah, me, Prendable would. I tell you what, I'm glad you told me because I'd love to be able to help him if we can. If anybody's come across them, get in touch. Text 0868104106. If not, what are you going to do? Shell out that kind of money again? That would be an awful Well, I suppose you'll have no other choice. Or else my mother. There'd be no talking in the house because no one would be able to hear each other. Buy one now and buy another in six months' time, kind of thing. <laughs> I think you can um, buy them and pay them off monthly now or something or something along them lines. Why was it? Why was it that I, I did? I, yeah, you can buy you know, maybe an installments, but I did. I did something on hearing aids a couple of years back, and I remember doing a search, and I even got into Amazon.co.uk at the time 
where they were selling hearing aids online for 37 euro the pair. Would they be useless? I'd say so. I'd say at 79 years of age, you now whatever you buy, you really need to buy the proper ones. Like, Decent stuff. Know. And they're fitted yeah. to the ear as well, aren't they? Exactly, yeah, yeah. And, right. you know, they, he just went for the telly and stuff, you know, so they're proper ones. Like. Gotcha, gotcha. Great yeah. story. Hopefully we'll be able to help to fix it, solve it, and get them redu- back to them and repaired, assuming they're repairable. Hopefully. I'll let you know if we have any news on it, Karen, all right? No problem at all. Thanks a million. Thanks for sharing and Happy New Year in spite of it to you and all of the family. Anybody can help with that. Just spot him. You might have him. You might just want to keep your eyes peeled. Um, get in touch if you have them. 0868104106. Just at this kind of nostalgic time of the year as we say goodbye to last year and look at the year ahead and hopefully it'll be a better one than last year. Um, here is a song when I heard about the mouse um, that I remember from my old childhood and how many of you will recall this one? A mouse lived in a windmill in old Amsterdam. A windmill with a lot of mice. (laughs) Oh, man. I had intended only playing a chorus of that, but I just couldn't stop it. It's just too good. Ronnie Hilton, from simpler times, way back in the day, the windmill in old Amsterdam. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show, on Twitter, at NeilRedFM. New phone number 0818-104-106. If you're picking up the phone and ring it in, everything else remains the same. For text and WhatsApp, it's still 0868-104-106. And I'll plow through some more texts and emails this side of... Of, uh, midday, But another extraordinary event over the last week. I've seen the video footage of a woman being rescued from Blarney Castle. You see the chopper over the tower top itself and then you see a winch go down and the winch attached and then the lady lifted up. I was mad keen to find out what all that was about. And Mary was the lady in question. Mary, good morning. Morning, Neil. Thank you so much for taking the call. It's not everybody's cup of tea coming on air. I appreciate that. So thank you. What happened? Oh my God, I... Woke up Wednesday morning. I had loads of visitors for Christmas, and I kind of just recovered. And um, I woke up Wednesday morning. I said, "Oh, it's a beautiful day. Come on, kids, let's go." So I live in Whitechurch, which is only down the road from Blarney, and they're always saying, "Mom, we've never been to the castle." So I said, "Right, it's a beautiful day. Off the devices, let's go." So they moaned and groaned all the way down, and. We eventually got up to the top. Are we there of the yet? Are we there yet? Yeah, and uh, I realised, oh my god, I'm afraid of heights. Oh so, no! So you went yeah. up to kiss the Blarney Stone with your gang. Well, yeah. yeah. So my son kissed it. Myself, my daughter didn't, and I was kind of get off the top. Now we'll go down along. So as you're going down the castle, there's all little rooms off it. Yeah. So they went into a little room, and I turned right, and I goes, "Oh, guys, there's another room here." And I put my two feet at the top of the steps and next I felt, oh, I'm gone. And there I went, down the stairs. Down the stone steps you fell? Yeah, yeah. Oh my Eight God, steps. Eight of them? Yeah. And was it painful? When I hit the bottom, which was a very sharp step, there was like a burn that went up through me that I knew I had done some damage. Ribs so, maybe? Was it Ribs? No, it was my lower back. Oh. The left hand oh, side. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Could you move? No. No. So I screamed for the kids. They were up in another room. 
and they ran and got help. This is Harry so, and Millie, is it? Harry and Millie. Okay. Yeah. So Kira, which works, I found out later, works with yourself. Yeah. And Adam came to to the rescue, and they brought the kids alongside because they were in an awful state at that stage. And I was trying to hold myself together and tell them I was I was fine. Mum's going to be good. We're all right. We'll be we'll get help now, and we'll be grand. So it was all a bit blur. Uh, what either Kira or Adam went to get the staff, and the other stayed with me. I can't even remember who stayed with me but they were chatting with the kids and they were like it's all going to be fine it's all going to be grand and whatever so um, then Liam the staff and Kieran for stager came and they called for an ambulance immediately and uh, Simone who I'd known um, who's a relation of the kid's father came also and I rang my family my parents are elderly and I didn't want them coming to collect the kids Um, my sister and all her family were in isolation and um, they rang I rang um, Harry and Millie's dad and he came so stage now it sounds to me as you got a right packed up castle at this stage an awful lot of people coming to your aid but at what stage then did uh, Chopper get called Um, I was on the floor in the castle for two hours. Oh my god. Yeah, so what was the pain like? I can't even I, I can't I just couldn't move. I was frozen. I couldn't move. Um for juice all the staff, they all got me coats, everything, sat with me, chatted all the way through it. And when did they realise after, you know, this period of time had passed that you wouldn't be going down the stairs? Uh, there was a paramedic um John came to the scene first. I think his name was John he was amazing. He gave me pain relief and gas and air straight away. Um, he was amazing. He was brilliant. He kept me so calm. Um, he started making calls then. Uh, he, he realized like there was no way they were getting me out. But the local helicopter were, um, they were on another job. So he called the fire brigade from Balgalan, who were giving me many a laugh in the middle of all this. Um, they came and they said there was no way. So we waited then and... Pete it would have been too dangerous, I guess, to lift you up, yeah. put you on a stretcher and bring you down with a bad damaged back. We ultimately found out that you've broken vertebrae. It would have been dangerous for the guys as well because the steps were quite slippy. Gotcha. Okay. So um, an ambulance came from Skibbereen with Pete and Anna and they worked on me straight away and they discussed it all that they needed. So they went, John went back on the phone along with the fire brigade and Rescue 115 were on a training um, mission in Shannon. That's a rescue helicopter in Shannon? Yeah. Did they? So they had enough fuel to get to me. So that's why I see the video of the chopper hovering over the top of, of Blarney Castle. What did, yeah. did they send a winchman down then on a line? Yeah, Philip Wren. He was brilliant. They all were brilliant. They were all amazing. All of them. Like, I wouldn't have got through it without any of them. They were, they're my heroes forever and ever. And they then attached you to the winch on some kind they of a stretcher. To the, I was stuck kind of in the middle of the castle. So I don't know when you go, it's it's the Grand Hall or something, yeah. that, which is open to the top. Luckily. So they put me on this hard foam um, mattress that they could um, put a pelvic strap on me. And they carried the... 
I have memories of the um, I have memories of the fire brigade bringing me up because it was like a, a narrow room I was in that I had fallen into yeah. and they brought me up to the open air and then the wrench man all I remember was waking up and the wrench man his face and my face and going hi we're going to go on a little trip <laughs> And I was like, I'm afraid of heights, I can't do Close your eyes, woman. Yeah. So they all stayed with me. He goes, I'm going away now for a few seconds and I'll be back again. And the next, he goes, close your eyes. He said, it's going to be very loud and very windy. (laughs) (laughs) So I closed my eyes and my next memory was being pulled into the helicopter. Um, Must have been a weird sensation, though, swinging in the air like that. I don't remember that. (laughs) I don't remember that, thank God. I only saw that afterwards on video. Oh, my God. Between yeah. ambulances coming from Skibbereen and choppers coming from Shannon and fire brigades coming from Ballyvalan and all sorts of people <laughs> coming to your rescue, you were one popular woman. And oh did you go to CUH? I did, and they were brilliant. They were brilliant. I was seen straight away. Within two hours, they had me diagnosed. I broke um, three vertebrae, my L1, L2 and L3. Oh, you all strapped up now. Um, no, no, I'm not. I'm just on bed rest and walk when I can. I thank God I can walk and I have full use, but just take it very easy. I'm not able to do anything. Oh, my so God. My poor children are they're doing as best they can with me. They're um, pampering and spoiling, ma'am. Yeah, and my fair juice, my neighbours, people have been dropping food at the door, hot dinners to us, everything. Oh, my God, it's an experience you won't want to repeat. Hold on there a second, because you did mention that Kira Evans was out there at the time. She certainly was. Joins me by phone. Kira, good morning. Morning. How I've are no, you? I've no idea why you two happy. I've no idea why you need to even think that you need to kiss the Blarney Stone because you have no problem <laughs> in the patter department anyway. You know. Well, you know what? I actually didn't because I said if I talk anymore, if I kiss the stone, <laughs> I'll never shut it. up. Yeah, there'd be no end to it. But lo and behold, you were there, right time, right place. Yeah, we just came down into the family room and Harry and Millie kind of came running up saying that their mum had fallen and, of course, we just went down the stairs to see what had happened uh, and Mary was sitting there uh, and she was so brave. Like, she must have got an awful fright because when I mean, they were just out for a family day, taking a break from the house um, and the kids, I mean, they got an awful fright, as you can had imagine. Had you heard the you kids know? crying for help? Yeah, yeah, we just had literally came into the room. They came running back up the stairs and said their their mom had fallen down the steps. So we went down to see what was after happening. Um, then I went back up towards the top, towards the Blarney Stone, just to get some help. And I think it was Liam that came down. Yeah. And he contacted the uh, first aiders to come along. Uh, so we just stayed with them until they were kind of happy and we were asked to kind of just give them some space while they assessed what was going on, you know. You uh, looked after can- the kids, keep them calm. So we just chatted to them, yeah, and just just made assure them that they were going to be okay because I mean, obviously they got such a fright as anybody would. Do you? you know? It's years since I was up in the Blarney Stone, and never at this time of the year. But is it a place that if you're climbing, you need to be, you need to have your wits about you, do you? Ah, uh, you definitely do, because I mean, there had been a lot of rain in the previous days as well, you know. So a lot of the steps were kind of slippy, um, like there are handrails and everything like that. But this particular lot is eight steps from I think it's called the family room or something. They, they are very, very steep, you know, um, and something can easily happen. I mean, it's obviously incredibly old. And, and we all wear so much different footwear now. I even notice it inside in town and depending on what I'm wearing, I can slip on the different surfaces. So you can imagine what it would be like there. Absolutely. It's easily done, like, you know, you're not kind of prepared for it. So 
just somewhere like that, you know, you don't you, know what you're going to expect. Were you there for the chopper lift and everything, yeah? No, no, we, we had uh, kind of given them their space, to, you know, to let the medical professionals do what they needed to do. Um, and once kind of we were happy that the kids were okay and were, were being looked after and everything like that, we kind of just gave them the space to do that. Uh, so I didn't get to see the chopper. <laughs> um, I got home and saw the pictures afterwards and I was like, oh my goodness, that poor lady, because it was just so traumatic I for know, her. And, I know, And Ver- to be there for that length of time as well. Very painful. But it, I suppose, Mary, it could have been a hell of a lot worse in spite it of what you have. went through, you know? It could have, yes. Oh, I'm, no. I'm glad to, that, that I will recover. Yeah. And that, like, my family had me... They had me wrote off like it, it could have been a whole, whole lot worse for me. And the it kids could have been an awful lot worse. I'm not taking from the be. pain that you went through, but thankfully it wasn't anything worse. And I suppose we should all go with our gut. If you're afraid of heights, you know, <laughs> stay away. Either, either get hypnosis or stay away from heights. <laughs> but you be trying to? I'd be trying to do adventurous things with the kids, you know. And I, know, like, and, I know. And then I was like, here I am going up on a helicopter with previously a few weeks. Beforehand, I had taken them to the big wheel and there was a yellow wind warning that night. And I, myself and my daughter, Billy, uh, we got halfway around. We were screaming, let us off! off." (laughs) The (laughs) luck seems to follow you. But anyway, listen, um, I hope you make a speedy recovery. Thank you very much. And thank you, Kira, for everything. And you and Adam. No bother. The gift she sent me and everything. Thank you very much. She followed up with the gift. There's no end to this woman's goodness. Well done, Kira. You're in the right place at the right time. Oh, for sure. God, anybody would have done the same. She's a fabulous woman and delighted she's recovering. Thank you both for taking the call. Cheers, Kira. And you too, Mary. Happy uh, New Year to you in spite of that. Cheers. you want to speak to Neil Prenderville in the new year, you'll need the new number 0818-104-106. Please hang up and try again. Cork's Red FM. Calling Red FM Studio? Call the new number 0818-104-106. And don't forget by email, neil at uh, redfm.ie. Here's a, an interesting one. It's very sad, actually. Writing this email today, Neil, the day when my daughter and husband and her kids called to visit their great-grandfather. Again, waving in the window to him. He's 96 years old, and it's so sad to look at this. A year after our first lockdown, and they're looking through the window last Christmas and this Christmas. This time last year, we felt we would get the vaccines. Not a mention of boosters then, but yes, we have had our vaccines and boosters. But here we are, in a worse place than last year. My father, 96, as I said, hasn't spoken in person to his grandkids or great-grandchildren in person for two years. The last years of his life. So many families are in a similar situation to ours, but I certainly feel one could lose the will to live in these times. My dad saw a lot in his life. The burning of Cork Opera House, President Kennedy on McCurtain Street, the landing of the first man on the moon. But he never, ever witnessed the likes of this poisonous disease to take hold of the world. We as a family called him as best we can, but the anxiety is always there. I feel so sad for all the elderly people. Isolation. It's so sad that my dad, aged 96, will probably never see normality again. Pubs and restaurants and shops haven't caused this to spread. People have. So my one wish is that people look at your own family. Protect all the people around you by following the small changes you have to make in your life. It could save a life of a loved one, a brother, a sister, a grandmother or a grandfather. 
Love the show, Neil. Hope you get to read this out. Well, I have done, and uh, you have summed it up very much uh, when you talk of somebody who is 96 years old and hasn't seen or in person grandkids or great grandchildren in two years. I, I know, I know what you're talking about. Um, for many of us now with elderly relatives, I think it's fair to say when we do visit, and I know, you know, for the first time, um, in the last week or 10 days, um, you know, I've been wearing masks indoors when I visit my own father. Now, that was something that I wasn't doing last year, obviously, but you do now because you, you're cognizant of elderly people and people with underlying health conditions. But I can't help but say again, like I did earlier on this morning, I really think this is beaten. I think this is just the last sting of a dying wasp. I accept that more and more people are testing positive and this Omicron spreads an awful lot faster, but is not doing the kind of damage um, that we had been told and what the media were talking about. They just went hell for leather. Um, and certainly in the newspapers at the back end of last year, certainly around about November, you know, saying, oh, no, this is going to be the killer of all killers. And that really hasn't happened, notwithstanding we have had deaths and there are people in the hospital and there's a small little bump up in ICU beds over the last 24 hours. I understand all of that. But I still can't help but think that with the seasonality of this virus, when January is behind, I, I really do believe that. And with everything that we're doing now and the protecting of society up until now, uh, that this is beaten and that we will be looking at, you know, COVID being dealt with uh, later this year and hopefully even sooner, just like we would with flu or a common cold. And I hold on to that hope anyway, and I'm sure that maybe others like me would also agree that we have to look at the positive as best we can. Um, I have a lot of other emails on that and uh, issues with people having uh, trying to get PCR tests or trying to get antigens. And I'm aware then that some of the antigen test kits are not the most accurate in the world. I accept that as well. We're getting texts and emails on those. But I just want to get one or two calls on, and we can pick it all up in the morning anyway, for whoever's on your mind. Frick, standing by. But first up, Elizabeth, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Good. And, uh, and I just want to go back to something I mentioned earlier, just maybe around about 10 past nine. And that is um, the appeal has gone out across Cork now to leave your Christmas lights on and your Christmas trees up for the month of January. Your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that, I think it's a great idea, Neil. Last year, we kept our tree up last year until April. <laughs> and I sent in a photograph to you. We decorated for Valentine's with all the lovely hair. To oh, so the photograph I have is the Christmas tree redecorated with red hearts and a big, where you normally would have maybe an angel on top, you've got a massive big red heart. Yes. That's yes. Valentine's, February 14th. Yes, yes. So I just thought, you know what, we leave it up, we spread the love, put photographs up and, um, you know, keep a bit of positivity going. Why up didn't you take it down after the 14th of February? You said you left it up till, was it the back end of March? We left it up for March and we decorated it for Paddy's. So we threw a bit of orange, a bit of green, a bit of white. The kids had fun with it and the kids just wanted to keep it up for Easter. And I said, OK, it needs to come down now. You see, I, I understand what you're saying and it's a great idea if it's a Machia tree. But the tree that we have is dying. Everything's fallen off it. Even the decorations have fallen off it. It's starting to smell. It's been up since the start of December. Um, like all of the pine needles in fact I don't know is it the gas heating or what within days they all dried up and just started to fall off all over the place and it's been it's way beyond its best before date you know yeah yeah I think you need to have an artificial tree to be able to do this yeah for the artificials one yeah but even passing I don't know where you recycle but I was down Skahard Road at the weekend and there's a, a, a Christmas tree recycling spot there 
and there's loads of trees. And this was, what today is today, Tuesday? This was on Saturday. Loads of trees already yeah. being recycled. So a lot of people just can't wait to see the back of them. Yeah, well, Sini, we bought a new tree last year and it's just a beautiful tree and I just did not want to put it back up into the attic. <laughs> you know, it's, it's been down for two weeks and to put it away for another 12 months, I said, no. All right, this okay. is a beautiful tree. It's okay. going to stay down. Okay. Well, I don't know what people think about leaving up the real trees for the month of January. I'd love to get their thoughts on it. For me, I can't wait to get rid of the damn thing. But yeah, yeah. maybe others would feel that maybe January is dark and cold enough as it is that we need something to brighten up our days. Maybe that's definitely. the Christmas decorations. Yeah, All right, I think, Elizabeth. I think houses should keep up the lights, definitely. Okay, well, for you, it changes on Valentine's and it changes again for St. Patrick's weekend. And then it goes into the attic. That's it. <laughs> Can I give you one shout out there, Neil? Yeah. I just want to give a big shout out to a big fan of yours. Her name is Kathleen Power, my mother. Oh, hi, Kathleen. And to my tremendous sister, Mary Rose in Glanmire, and to my brother, Nicholas Power. He has a business in Holly Hill. It's called Rath Peak and Fireplaces. Right. Okay. So a big shout out to him and to all my friends and family and have a wonderful, happy new year. And happy new year to you all in Ballygarvin as well, Liz. Thanks for taking the call. Thanks, Neil. Thank all you. All the best. Bye-bye. Cheers for now. Bye-bye. Down the estuary we go. Freak, good morning. Hey, Neil, how's it going? I'm good. Happy right. New Happy Year to you, pal. Yeah, it's all right. So, how was Christmas? Yeah, it was kind of like quite, like quite. Good, so. Yeah, but I yeah. quite no rain on that, and so yeah, you didn't go up for the rain, no? No, no, probably would have been too dodgy. We probably would have been rain. Is, is that, is that two that. years without the rain now? Two years without the rain. I said that to someone that's two years sober. So he said, I'm delighted you're after drink that long. <laughs> I said, No, there's only two years sober from the rain. <laughs> <I know. laughs> We love the old traditions, but it's not going to happen. Yeah. There's a, no, a New Year's no. Eve tradition down in, in Port McGee since the mid-1700s, you know, where they walk yeah. through the village um, with a big pageant. It's the old man of the year being killed off and the new young man of the new year coming oh, yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, you stood up before, remember, Neil? I said, yeah, what we to know, do bring in a young flood in. Oh, and they'd have a big band going down the middle of the village and they'd have torch lit processions and everything. But for two New Year's Eves now, it hasn't happened. And in yeah, 250 yeah, years, yeah. that never, ever happened. Through all of the wars, all of the pestilence, Spanish flu, yeah. everything, this is the first time it didn't happen. So, But anyway, yeah. other than that, though, were you out and about it all over Christmas? Oh, uh, well, I was. I was in town. Well, we all met up there at Christmas Eve outside. had the breakfast outside Tony's. So, well, Fantastic. Maybe, I, yeah, and met me, me daughter, then Sasha was there with her baby, so she had a few bits to do, so... I was hanging alone. With you didn't go there. for the Godfather breakfast or anything like that? No, I didn't. No, no, no. <laughs> Number seven, I think. <laughs> it was grand, brilliant, great stuff. I should have grand out of sound out. So, so we were set up outside. But yeah. So we went for the, I said, we go for a point. It was about 12 o'clock. I said, you know what? I had a point for ages. I love a point. So he said, then the Sasha's partner and we took the granddaughter with us, Ivy, in the buggy. So he said, we got on to Martin Lane. So we did the mutton in, so we were waiting. He put his head in, the man said, you'll have to wait there in the queue. Do not queue there, like, but stay behind the line there. So a few minutes later, the man came out. He said, oh, you can't come in here with a buggy. With a buggy? So, yeah, fire okay. hazard, he said. Okay. But like, we had to go in past stools, you know what I mean? I, you know, that doesn't matter me either, like, but you just had to ship people off the stools so you to get the buggy and all that. Like, but so 
they were probably out the same distance as we would have been with a buggy. Right. Left, uh, I don't like, know what, I actually don't know the hard and fast rule when it comes to... Yeah, I don't either. No, but that's, it's narrow enough in there, as you know, and you're like in that yeah, lane, but that's yeah. where you were drinking, like. Yeah. So we headed off, so I said, look, all the tables were set up outside Coonahan, so we got out to Coonahan, sat down, and you know, just let him out. I thought he was after saying, have you been looked after? Have you been served? But he said, uh, have you served? So another flick came up, two of them there, and next he said, have you searched, lad? He said, we were the only two there, no, and my granddaughter, and I said, we didn't think we need search for outside. What do you do here, he said. Right. So we said, we're grand, that's grand, so we got up. And do you, do you, though, outdoor? Out- but that's, the, that's what I'm saying, no. I, didn't, I didn't see it written in so-called rules that this gang have made out for us. See, cause so, unless it's a situation whereby if you don't have a vaccine cert, and you want to use the inside toilets or something, maybe? Maybe, but for me, like, I'm walking, no, I go into Tony's to use the loo, like, and there's never a okay. problem. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I went down, and so we went up, we're talking just up by the GPO, and we're saying, where will you get a point? And your man actually walked behind us, and me, me, uh, daughter's partner, he walked, he used to walk in the bed, and he said, that can't be right, that's their rules. So your man was walking back, and your man held us, and he turned down, the man said to me, uh, me Pods to the roads. What well, the said, yeah, they're all roads. Yeah. Pods just said to me, that's why you've no one sitting outside your bar. So ah, well, maybe not. Did, like, maybe, you know. Like a table set up, you know. Yeah, well, you weren't too far from the, like the Long Valley have outdoor seating. Uh, the Chateau, I think, do outdoor. Yeah, I wonder, yeah. did you try anywhere else? No, we went down then, we ended up down in the Pernod Place, down outside the Welcome Inn. A great so, spot. Great spot, I love the Welcome Inn. The lads are so as I said, Paul went in with his mask on, came back up with two points. So we sat down there, had a point, headed off. We had a grand chat. There was about seven or eight lads out there having a great crack, drinking the point. And I was talking to one or two more. So we headed off. Up. We were meeting my daughter, Sasha, then, and you're outside. Um, the body, you sat down, had another one. Well, so listen, fair play to you, boy. At least you were a man on a mission. You didn't give up trying. No, no, no. no. Happened it was a point to be involved in your day. Okay, happy new year to you, Frick. Happy new year, Nate. Stay in touch across the year like you did last year. Look after yourself. Our lines will stay open on uh, 086-8104-106 by text. You can email neil at uh, redfm.ie and our brand new phone number is 0818-104-106. We'll pick it up in the morning. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Just very finally, keep a close eye out for a small little box. It says hidden hearing on the cover. It was lost somewhere between Balafihan and the South Mall on the return bus journey. It has three hearing aids inside in it, which were at one stage chewed by a mouse. We'd love to get them back to the owner. Have a good day. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.